be a star on Sunset. Enter the Actors Billboard Marathon. Reach for the stars, screen test, and a free car. Starting December 1st, 20 selected actors and actresses will compete in a living billboard marathon on Sunset Boulevard. That's right, living. And if you can stay up on the billboard longer than anyone else, you'll win all prizes plus a national publicity to enter lots of national publicity to enter send your resume and photo to the billboard marathon care of the goddard company 8833 sunset boulevard suite 400 los angeles california 90069 no walk-ins or telephone calls deadline for resume and photos is november 5th will you obey all laws when living on the billboard I hate you and your fucking noodle posse. Go daddy, people love noodles. It's just a fact of cheap show you're gonna have to learn to fucking accept. Cheap show. Hello, welcome to Cheap Show. It's a very special edition of the podcast. I'm Paul Gannon. I'm Eli Silverman. This is the Winky Special. It's the Winky Special, um, which sounds a little bit weird without context. Birthday but, yeah, Winky, it's Winky, Winky Special. It's our birthday Winky Special. I'd like. Uh, I'd so like, with the. I'd like on. something done to my Winky on your birthday. Yeah. Is this really the time and the place <laughs> no, to put a request it's out? It's not. Sorry. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> you go on, Paul. You go on. Sorry. So, to celebrate five years of this bloody podcast's existence, we thought we would spend one episode talking about something that came into our lives about a year or so ago and has lingered ever since, and it is the Winky. Um, in episodes 114 and 115, Eli went sh- went vinyl shopping, and what did you come across? Uh, <laughs> well, a magazine, but then I went out to the shop and... Uh... Great. So you know when I said before we started recording, we're going to keep this reasonably moderate so newcomers would would find it appealing and not just quickly go into the spoffing material. Okay, I'm sorry. Pace yourself, mate. You're getting excited. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. So there is, uh, obviously, long-time listeners will know, Paul, there is a section of the show, Silverman's Platters, where we try and find unusual and novelty records. It's, It's one of the things we do, isn't it? I mean, years ago, before even the podcast, I had a character called Mike Alanius, who was like a special specialty novelty and crap record DJ. Yeah. And you used to play them at the Geekatorium comedy nights, and you would kind of MC the interval. Yeah, that's right. So I've always... I've always had an interest, especially for seven inches that are unusual, uh, novelty or one-off tie-in things. I like tie-in records and stuff. So on the day in question, I was uh, uh, in Reckless Records. I like the fact that you're talking like you're you're at defence at a court case or something. On the day in question, Your (laughs) Honour. Reckless Records in Soho, which you know, they are actually an excellent record shop and they have a miscellaneous section. They've got like a comedy, mm. comedy exotica miscellaneous section uh, where you find a lot of these weird records and they're reasonably priced. 
And on that day, Winky winked at me. I thought, what on earth is that? And the sticker, the sticker that they'd put on in the record shop in Reckless said French Electro. So I was intrigued. I was intrigued by the cover and uh, by the promise of French Electro because it's a good genre. <laughs> so <laughs> fair enough. I didn't know. And I think it was three pounds or three fifty. So not, you know, not dirt cheap, but it was in very good condition uh, and has a lovely. But it's a very striking album. A single cover because it is of this microchip face with a red eye and a green eye, you know, and I can imagine that being eye popping to some extent. Yeah, it is very, it, it is, it's a very eye catching um, design, that's for sure, um, which is what they all thought, must have thought at the time, mustn't they? Because they thought this is going to sell because it's so sort of, uh, it's well branded. I just think the issue, uh, more than anything else, yeah. is the product itself. <laughs> you know, what I mean, like, well, yeah. and this is where this is where we're getting to because yes. what began as a, a, a find for the vinyl segment of the Cheap Show podcast turned into a rabbit hole that kept getting deeper and deeper and odder and more random the yes. more we looked. Basically, we and noticed so- we noticed when we were reviewing the record uh, that there was a, a trademark next to the Winky, the title Winky, didn't we? So, yeah, and that. That was the really was the the little clue that mm. that opened the rabbit hole, so to speak, wasn't it? <laughs> that was well, the- because <laughs> that was a, such a strained <laughs> metaphor that I'm not sure if it was sounded filthy or not. <laughs> it could it could be. I'm restraining myself, Paul. This is serious, yeah. Eli. I'm not going to say anything about getting a vice and like you know leveraging open a lovely wet rabbit hole or anything right, like so that. Right, <laughs> so we are going to move on and explain to you that this episode then is an exploration of the mystery of a French single, the confusion of a pointless toy, the madness of a promotional enterprise, yeah. the, 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 the famous people who walk in and out of the story randomly, the... Uh, the people upon it. We are going to spend all of this week's birthday episode talking about the Winky, the story that I'm surprised no one knows about. Considering, do you? Another thing that occurred to me, Paul, is Winky slang for a penis all over the world, or is it just British? I think it's a British thing, but I also presume it probably travels very easily and is understandable. Yeah, it's like got. If you went to, it's got a certain ring to it that makes it sound like a penis word, doesn't it? Yeah, because there are people we speak to throughout the course of this episode. We have interviews and we have vid- clips and all sorts, but they all come across like, yes, it was kind of a dumb name. Yeah. So. Yeah. But it did also sell the product. So, with that said, Eli, mm. are you ready to begin? I'm ready to do a deep dive into the Winky with you, Paul, on our birthday. Really, let's right. go. Let's deep dive into the Winky, out the rabbit hole, round the round the Winky hole. All dance round the right. Winky <laughs> hole. <laughs> you know what? You, you just could have said yes, yes. Eli. That yes. would have been perfectly fine. Yes! Yes! In that case, in that case, strap in, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be a long one. This is the story of Winky. Right, so to tell this story, Mr. Silverman, yes, I have to start in the way a podcast we're both fond of would start themselves. As in, we're going to rip off the dollop, basically. You're going to read it. You're going to shout a date, are you? Here we go. You ready? Yeah. yeah. 1955. 
or 54, we're not quite sure, is where this story begins. But I think it's, I think it's 1955. 54. I think it's 1954. We don't have an actual date. No. We have 1954. That's when we presume the man behind this story was born. So in 1954, Lawrence Lynn was born to uh, Robert and Betty Lynn. Now, it's, before we go any further, Eli, very little about Dr. Winky, Lawrence Lynn, is known, other than the reports about him and his own self-promotion. Okay? okay. Now, why does he have a... What, if I'm right in thinking, he's Chinese and his parents are both Chinese. Is that right? They are, but this is where a lot of um, guessing comes in, because I, I've read a lot of articles, and if we quoted every single one, we'd be here all night. But I pieced together that Robert and Betty Lynn, Chinese, maybe they changed their name to fit in and be more American That's what it sounds you know, after like. the Second World War. It sounds like they, ang- they, yeah. they chose anglicised names. Now, there's nothing on Robert Lynn that I could find, but Betty Lynn, we do know, made her own fortune in the printing industry. Okay. It, but that's in the States. All we in know. the States on the west coast of the in, States. Is that in right? the States. Yeah. yeah. We believe San Francisco okay. at this point, but we're not sure because again, everything I don't know for a fact is a guess at this point. So the reason I can put this together is because in two thousand there was an independent news article, right? And uh this article was about the singer Eddie Fisher. Do you remember Eddie Fisher, a singer? Popular it's, in the fifties. I, I remember Climby Fisher. No, this is this what was Eddie that Climby Fisher, Fisher one? Didn't he... That's good. Climby Fisher's good. Uh, can, can, we... can we stay on yes, topic, sure. please? No. Out of all the episodes, give me we an ex- need to focus. Give me an example of Eddie Fisher, an Eddie Fisher song. Eddie Fisher songs. I'm using Google on the fly. Cindy, oh Cindy, uh, I'm walking behind you. Oh my papa. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Eddie Fisher, a popular singer, very, very rich with a string of women behind him. Apparently he was married to Debbie Debbie Reynolds. Okay. And cheated on Debbie Reynolds with Elizabeth Taylor. Okay. Eddie and Debbie's child was Carrie Fisher, Star Wars. Oh. Princess Leia. Okay, now, now. And she said, and she said if she knew about her dad's sexual activity, she'd have her DNA fumigated. I think that's what she said. Really? Because he, he, it all came out later, did it? How much he was sleeping around. Yeah. Right, okay. So eventually, at some point, Eddie Fisher and Betty Lynn married. So we don't know what happened to Robert. Maybe he died as a divorce. We don't know. But Betty Lynn married Eddie Fisher. So this is after Lawrence was born, obviously. Lawrence is the son of... Much later, okay. yeah. He is He is the son of Robert and Betty. And, but Betty's Betty was the... Was the the money maker in that marriage she was it was her business is that right we can only presume as we go on to find in this story Lawrence Lynn I mean look reading between the lines in some of the stories that I've read about Lawrence Lynn like he it looks like he was at least affluent obviously he lived a very affluent lifestyle yeah. but um at the same time he seemed to be well educated and quite clever he went to a very you know good school and from what we can gather now what I also think is that he used his mum's money to pay for a lot of follies. Yes. Business enterprises, you know, things that he could potentially try out because he's rich and why not try it? Classic baby boomer. Yeah, pretty much, actually. And funnily enough, when it comes to him, it's like there's not much about what he did beforehand. I checked his records on a website and, and a reader got in touch with me, who I've forgotten the name of now, who sent me a lot of information about him. And it looks like he had business after business after business, open and close, open and close. Okay. You know, he's had he's had an interesting life in terms of his businesses. You know? And that does suggest that he just had some kind of uh, inexhaustible pot of money to keep uh, keep opening these businesses. Well, you know. 
as we'll find out, he certainly had enough to throw around because it's, it's, it's alluded to that even though Lawrence owned these practices, the money came from his mum. Right. But this is kind of hearsay on my part, judged on, on what I've read. At some point, though, he wants to open a nightclub in San Francisco. And in 1985, he opens what became known as the famous DV8 club in San Francisco. Oh, but what I didn't know about it was apparently, and this is another character who will pop in and out of this story, but Keith Haring, the artist, baptised the venue when it opened in 1984 with a massive load of murals, and it became known as the place where dance music was born in San Francisco. It's like that's where dance music came from Europe over to the East Coast through to the West Coast. It's like it was popularised at that venue. Well, and when you say dance, you mean at what? when did he open? What year did he open DVA? 1985. Okay, so we're well into the house, early house music era. Yeah. It's not... Dance music had been big in fr- Frisco, let me tell you, Paul, for ye- from you know for years and years. Yeah, because you've got the huge gay community, and the gay community uh, was one one of the uh, scenes where where disco emerged from. So th- you know, yeah. it's got what I'm saying is there's a pedigree of of dance music in Frisco before '85. That's what I'm saying. okay. But what I'm saying is, like, it became the home to it. I mean, think of it as, like, the hacienda yeah. of San Francisco. So it was the hippest club. It was um, the Studio 54. And that... Uh, well, we're, we're going to get into that because, just to give you a bit of reference, there's a Rolling Stones article from, I think, late 80s. And I can't remember the context of it now, but it says this little quote. Up on the West Coast, Dr. Winky has been throwing one big party at his 20,000-square-foot club, DV8, since 1986. A San Francisco native and a college dropout. Ah, well, there you go, college dropout. Lawrence Lynn made his first million in the printing business when he was 23 ah. and went on to invent the winky okay a red and green microchip for the lapel but his mum was his mum was his mum was in the in the printing business as well we can presume he was given a role in it somewhere and made his own money yeah. somehow okay. maybe she gifted him a business yeah. yeah here's the interesting thing that i think paints a bit more about his character it says recently he bought the Doobie Brothers tour plane and built a restaurant, the Caribbean Zone, in and around it. But Dr. Winky still spends every night at the DV8 club. Everyone thinks it's very glamorous work, he says. You try staying up late with people. It tends to be hard work. Yeah, uh, hard work, which is uh, alleviated, the tiredness at least, by cocaine. Yes. By copious yeah. amounts of cocaine. Now... Oh, um, it's hard for work. Whatever reason. What hard work it is. Oh, I just I get up at six in the evening, go over to my club, do a gram and fucking get pissed. Blown by a prosy. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm weeping for you, Lawrence. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, what a hard, hard-working rich boy. Well, here's the thing, right? It, it feels like, as we'll discover in this story... I think Dr. Winky liked being an outsider, but of just a very affluent outsider. I think he reveled in being the alternative to what was popular and trying to create his own. I get the impression that on the East Coast of America, when like, you know, that Mondo New York movie was released, looking into the kind of underground life of the artists on, you know, in Soho yeah. and things like that, where, where people like, um, you know, Divine or RuPaul probably started out at that yes. time. I get the impression he wanted to bring that over to the West Coast in San Francisco. So I think the reason why he started getting involved with people like Keith Haring was because he liked the association. And Keith Haring very much in that New York scene, wasn't he? The 80s New York scene. Yeah. I mean, I w- we will cover him in a bit more detail later on in the story. There's, a, there's an article from 1986, The Sentinel in LA, and it's specifically about the nightclub scene in 
uh, San Francisco right. at this time. I'm not going to read all of it out. I'll read, I'll read the opening bit. It goes, Dr. Winky has unveiled a new nightclub called DV8 at 540 Howard. Winky pl- plans an eight-room flea f- three-floor glitz emporium lace. I can't even say that. Emporium slated. Emporium slated. Emporium slate. I can't. Just say word. the whole sentence again. I'm not going to say them again at all, to be fair, <laughs> at this point. Uh, <laughs> Fridays through Sundays, a spot Winky hopes will provide an internationally established dance place here in San Francisco. Okay. But what the article goes on to say is that what makes his nightclub better is that it's more exclusive. It will cost you $10 a pop on Friday and Saturday nights and $8 every other night. Now, we're talking 1986, so that's quite costly. Yeah. Especially if you want the $450 general membership and then there's a VIP, you know? Yeah. So... It's like a subscription service to be part of this scene. But again, he Paul, has a- Paul, again, this just makes me think he was kind of ahead of his time. This is just like, you know, like the, the Fire Festival or something like that. It's this this sort of people getting into the act of selling luxury, you know, selling the idea yeah. of the exclusivity rather than being a grassroots, you know, that he was so into dance music or he was so into the, you know, anything else. It just seems... Seems like a, a ploy. Well, this is the thing. It's There's a publicist, and there's a character I think will pop in and out later in the story called Jennifer Jones, who was Lawrence Lynn's lackey, <laughs> which I shouldn't have chosen as a sentence. But uh, she would be, I believe, like his right-hand man in all of this. And like they talk about the article where it's, like, it's very secretive. At this, at this point in time, the club is just about to open. It's very secretive. And what year, what year is this? 86? 86. And yeah. when was the when was the Winky toy first um introduced? Well, again, this is the timeline, isn't it? We're talking 84 was when the competition started. Okay. 85 was so, when it kind of ran its so course. So the club the but, club happened after after the Winky uh the Winky episode or at the same time. All right. This is where this is where without racing ahead in the story, the timeline's all a bit fudged as to when and what happened. Right. Okay. Goes on to say, uh, Winky. When it came to um, who's allowed in, Winky said they have to be beautiful, act beautifully, and carry themselves off with beauty. This isn't meant to be discriminatory, but we're just trying to create an atmosphere conducive to the public we wish to have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's uh. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. very good. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? It's also it's also um surfacy. It's also like well. He's a sham. It goes on to say. He's a scam artist. Well, is he a scam artist or is he just an idealist with too much money and not enough business sense? Because that kind of feels more accurate. For me, wanting to sell something just off the back of it being exclusive, and that's the main thing you're buying. You're buying the feeling of exclusivity or the feeling of, you know, being with the beautiful people. Well, it's like a Kickstarter. Yeah. If this was t- today, he'd be doing a Kickstarter winky campaign. You know, it's like, it's all those people who go, my Kickstarter campaign is I'm going to uh, <laughs> give you a watch with no clock face on it, just so you don't have to think about yeah. time. Yeah. You think, it's that kind of thing. If he was opening this club today, he'd have all the Instagram models all, you know, ad- yeah. adorned over some kind of uh, pex- plexiglass stage, you know, I don't know, pouring champagne yeah. over their young nubile bodies, maybe rubbing... Their groins together tastefully. You're right. Calm down, mate. <laughs> Calm down. PG, PG, mate. PG. Right, is it? Um, Have we gone PG? Uh, no. But Paul, another point I'd just like to make quickly is this whole thing with the club as well, 
as well as the Art Winky idea, it seems slightly ahead of its time. His ideas do seem, do you know what I mean? Slight, like, well, like there's a, there's a sense of P.T. Barnum to it. Yeah, but his ideas do seem to be forerunning trends that became much bigger. You know, yeah. Well, the article goes on to say, Winky has definitely paid plenty for the club's look. A combination of Trump Leon murals, faux marble columns, walnut and wood bars and chandeliers, all in the Keith Hearing Room where live acts will perform. There's an act who uh, works, who will become famous for the venue called Tom Sex, I think his name is. Okay. <laughs> There's an exclusivity to some of the bars, like some floors you can't get into without the VIP access. There are other opposing comments in this article from other nearby bars saying it's not competition because it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous venue. Right. So we're going to keep things, you know, open and public and nice yeah, and for the for the common, affordable. common party people, not just not. Yeah. yeah. However, if you do want to go to DV8, it says in the article, ordinary folk can buy tickets to a live event for alternative acts like opening entertainer, New York's John Sex, German industrial noise band Estrazenth, Lubatten, and rocker Charlie Sexton, to name a few. Why are they all called Sex? Mr. Sex, John Sex. Who's the next act? The Sexos. What's coming up? Yeah. Sex Boy featuring Sex with with yeah, it's sexomatic like edge lordy. Yeah. Well, wow. you know what I mean. It feels a little edge lordy. So, Paul was um. Lynn, what was his sexual orientation? Was he an out um, gay man uh, or was he? Well, here's the thing. All I can tell you from another article um, was that there was a second wedding. The first we'll get to in time, but there was a second wedding at the DV8 club. Okay. And that was for him and a lady called, uh, I can't remember her first name. I've written the name down, Kong, her surname was. Okay. And so there was a marriage between these Kong family and the Lin family, and it took place at the DV8 bar. So he did have children, I believe. He has okay. had spouses. So it's the 80s. He might have had a bit of fun, but as far as right. we know. No, I was just wondering what, he, man. what, what his deal was vis-a-vis that. And the club wasn't wasn't an exclusive just because I know San Francisco's got the biggest gay you know scene in the in the US, yeah. doesn't it? So I'm just wondering what the what the sort of it was what uh, what was going on with that. <laughs> well, then it goes on. Well, then it goes on to uh, talk about Herring's influence on the is the fact that his murals were used throughout the venue, and famously so. Uh, the story goes, and I can't I don't want to read the article; it's very long. But the story goes that. Herring agreed to do a mural. Lawrence Lynn didn't really pay him other than maybe in drugs and the exposure. But when he thought it was going to be a small mural and Lawrence Lynn went, no, do the whole wall. Then he got the bargain of, it was called the Keith Herring Lounge and things like that. But oh. it was like full of his art, the pop art style that he was famous for. Again, we see this pattern with Lynn, though, of not paying, you know? Yeah, we'll we'll get to that. Where, considering he's rich, he doesn't like spending his own money. He aren't, he doesn't, does uh, his, he at all? One of the murals was a cartoony five-panel configuration figure, featuring three-eyed and three-breasted monsters gobbling serpents with, my, with male genitalia. In fact, madcap New York sex, sex exhibitionist John Sex noted later from the stage, it's nice to see famous people painting penises. Don't you think? I wish there was more of it. <laughs> well... Good, good on you, John Sex. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think, do they still exist? These murals? Does the club still exist? Well, again, we'll come to that at a oh, certain right. point. But the article talking about those murals, we get the impression that basically Lawrence Lynn nicked them, and they're probably in storage right now somewhere. Wow. You know, so at this point, that's where Lawrence Lynn is in his life. It's eighty-five. He's got this DV8 club, and around that time, or just before, Winky happens. 
And we're not sure if Winky was meant to help with the club or whether it was another little side project. But at some point... But was he, no- was he known as Dr. Winky before Winky? This is... We don't know. This is I, one I can't of, say for sure. This is one of the big unexplained mysteries of this whole story, Paul. Why was he Dr. Winky? He's already known as Dr. Winky when because Winky happened before. So he must have become well, Do- Dr. Winky after Winky started. After he birthed Winky. My belief, other than you trying to just cram in the word Winky as many times as possible. I'm being serious. My belief is that I think he saw Winky as a brand. He would be brand Dr. Winky. There would be Winky stuff, clothing, fashion. You know what I mean? I get the impression he was trying to be, as you say, forward thinking. Tech as fashion. Yes. Mr. Winky as a brand. Dance music. This nightclub. I think it all kind of came at the same time. And I, I believe... It was all meant to work together as one big brand whole. Right. So, yeah, it's a, it's unified. If he's known as Dr. Winky. But I wish there'd been some kind of medical aspect to... Uh, what's the, Where does the doctor bit come from? Well, it might be that it's a doctorate of the fine arts. You know what I mean? He might be, he might be an expert at Winkies. And so, <laughs> I don't know. Well, wouldn't it be good if, uh, if Winky was, as well as being your friend who was a little uh, robot, it could also sort of diagnose minor ailments or something like that? <laughs> well, we have that now in many respects. We do. We've got Fitbits and stuff. So it's all like... All that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? How it was uh, the forerunner, but it was like just the idea and none of the actual... Yeah. It was all mouth and no trousers. Yeah, totally. Well, in that case, ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about Winky, because now it's time to talk about a toy you probably don't remember. So what is Winky? We found the song. We discovered our route through the story is different from the way we're telling the story today. But we found the song, then we found out what the song was about. And it was about a toy called Winky, a computer friendship. And on the front package, it just says... Pin on and wear anywhere, micro lights, flash red and green, official user's guide included, replaceable batteries included. And effectively, what it is, is a small square badge that looks like, and if you want to go to our website, thecheapshow.co.uk, you're going to see video clips and pictures that accompany everything we're talking about today. There's a whole stash of images you can enjoy looking at as you listen to this, if you so desire. But the Winky badge is an electronic little microchip face, two little flashing lights, and you pin it on you, and it's got little... Effectively, what happens is it's got some kind of microchip in, and when you wear the badge, the contacts on the four corners bump against your clothing and change the flashing pattern of the eyes. That's essentially the toy, and we love it. You know, it's a tiny little thing. It comes on this little gatefold packaging. Inside is the most enormous amount of claptrap about what this toy is. So in the early 80s, because of the changes in how you can make toys, toys became more gimmicky. What what changes do you mean, Paul? Toys used to be cardboard and wood, right? Maybe metal. But when plastics became more adaptable, oh, okay. then board games changed and toys changed. So you're talking right? about actual technological advances and material advances. Yeah. Okay. One guy at some point invents a craze in the US called a pet rock. And it's a rock in a box, and it's a pet. It does nothing, but it, it was absolutely sodding huge. Yeah, you got a, you got a birth certificate, you got certification with it, didn't you? And and like a, a guide how to feed it or whatever as well, didn't you? All stupid stuff. Yeah. So basically, with the pet rock, I think Winky said I can do better 
But because I'm Dr. Winky, I'm going to add technology to it. You know, you've also got to remember, like, at the early 80s, electronic toys were coming into fashion. with was like the video game era before the crash, you know? So we had Ataris in people's homes and yes. arcades filled with things, you know? Totally. Everything was like Tron. Yes. And I think this toy was designed to tap into it. Now, what we don't know is who made it, who designed it. We can only guess that maybe... Lawrence Lynn designed it, well, it but was, whether he had the wherewithal... It was his patent. He owned the whole concept and well, idea, didn't he? There is no patent. There is a trademark for it, but there's, there's no patent for the actual design. Okay. Right? So that says one thing to me. To me, and I might be wrong, is that this is technology he bought somewhere. You know, like yeah. an accidental invention, like, I don't know, uh, post-it notes was someone tried to invent a glue and it wasn't strong enough but yes. hey maybe you can work for notes and then i think maybe someone invented this little microchip realized it was pointless well it's essentially and maybe lawrence lynn step essentially but it's like a it's like a switch isn't it so it's just a component that would be part of all sorts of uh, electronic devices and the, and the and the well, and the, I- the material itself the face of the badge the face of winky is just a bit of circuit board isn't it essentially? And it, yes. And I think that it's just a standard piece. So it could be that Paul that it was invented and it was useless, and then it was just picked up by Lynn. But it also could be to do with there being an excess job lot of bits of circuit board or something, or just you know what I mean. The materials yeah. they could have a, a surplus of of some materials, and just think, what the fuck are we going to do with all these these two million electric switches I've got? Do you know what I mean? Well, exactly, and and he and maybe Lawrence Lynn said, "I'll tell you what, I've got this. I've drawn a face of a microchip. I'll slap it on the front, and we'll yeah. come up with the so rest it, later." It could be your theory, or it could be my theory, or it could be a combination of both those reasons, couldn't it? It's just it. It's fascinating. All we know is that he set up a company called Xtronics Inc., and then a company called Winky Inc. as well <laughs> to to promote and make this. I know how to make Winky Inc. Now, here's the interesting thing, and this is where, once again, the timeline gets on my tits with this story. Okay. Because we know the events to come started in 84. We know the club opened in 85, but was, you know, opened on the 86. Okay. The, the trademark for this wasn't until October 1st, 1985. So months after all the crazy events that took place took place. So it's like he tried to trademark it when it wasn't being successful but also the winky existed at least a year before because the the billboard the extronics billboard was advertising winky in in december 84 so for whatever reason maybe he he was just it was took a long time to get it done maybe he didn't know he had to do it i'll tell you why paul because he was off his head on cocaine. <laughs> That's why. <fine. laughs> well, okay, I'll be honest. I'm looking at the uh, US Patent and Trademark Office, and it says he filed it in March of 85, which is right in the middle of the promotion. Right. But it wasn't okay. given the thumbs up until October. Yeah, it's just something you have to do, isn't it? You have to get it trademarked, and it's not at the top of your list if you're just trying to do no. a wild P.T. Barnum and just get it, you know, you can you can iron out the details afterwards, can't you? I think he wanted to he wanted to push it first, obviously. Also, it's worth bearing in mind that uh, you know, he got the patent for this or the trademark sorted whilst in the midst of the promotion. By the time it was rat you know, it was given the thumbs up, the toy was dead. Yeah. 
But so, I don't think that's there's reasons for that, and the reasons are it's it's a terrible toy. <laughs> I mean, it is and it isn't because we've we fell in love with it. Well, we when I when I decided to go online and buy one from this guy on eBay, I got one and I kind of fell in love with it. It is cute. The logo, the design of it is eye catching and kind of you know as jewellery, it has a certain charm, but as a toy. Uh, yeah, it's well, terrible. Interestingly, you couldn't call it a toy. He filed it as a trademark. He did it. He did it as wearable jewelry. Yeah. So he did file it under jewelry, what, and also wearable jewelry as opposed to uh, the jewelry you just put on the table. Yeah. All right. Wear. I get. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. I don't, is I that what it's called? Skipped... Wearable tech. You mean? Right. Wearable tech. Wearable jewelry. <laughs> I bought some of these new type of clothes, Paul. Wearable ones. <laughs> right, okay. We want to move on. All right, sorry. Do you want to move on? Yeah. Because what I want to do is right now turn this podcast into the 18-rated version <laughs> to put you in your place. All right, sorry. But I'm being a nice boy. Sorry. So anyway, I, we fell in love with the toy. Uh, you know, we started talking about it on the podcast. And, you know, you look at the packaging for it. And it's we're not going to read it all out now. There are pictures on the website. But basically, it invents this whole character what it does, how it behaves, how you can live with it, you know. (laughs) But it doesn't do anything. No. No, mate, you can't do anything sexual with this unless you have a big thing about penises and meatuses. Well, you could wedge it in your meters or in your arse. Right, moving on. But Paul, Paul, isn't some of the the stuff on the the gatefold packaging that it comes in, isn't that sort of saying, oh, you can ask it questions or, you know, or what does it say? I mean... It's random in its flashing, depending on how you use the contacts. But it kind of wants to say, if it's red flashing on its own, it says this. If it's green flashing on its own, yeah. it means that. So it's- if they're both flashing at this time, it does this. It's kind of making it like feel like a language, but it's just random nonsense. Yeah. And also, it makes it, it's got so many elements of other toys in it. Because it's, like ra- it's like an eight ball, a magic eight ball, or uh, one yeah. of those fish. You know, the fortune-telling yeah. fish as well. It's got that aspect to it, doesn't it? As well as being sort of like... A bit computer gamery, yeah, and also a bit like jewellery. It's just such a such a strange uh, amalgamation of different sort of different trends. Yeah, and again, it's like you meant to remember. It's like it's not only is it fashion, but it's technology. Oh, it's the future. Yeah. It's not, but that's the conceit. I tell you what, I'll read you one part of the of the packaging, the Winky Ownership Agreement. Right here's what it says. Extronics Inc. hereby grants ownership of said friendly microchip, Winky, to the following person who agrees to befriend, care for, and bring up the aforementioned chip. Oh, yeah, according I promise. to the highest standards of morality, emotional stability, what? and social equality. Fucking hell. They had high hopes. <laughs> they had high hopes for Winky, like, didn't they? He was going to solve the fucking yeah. world's problems. Not even Tamagotchis get this much respect, and they poo and die. Now, that also, that copy that you just read out, Paul, it's very is very reminiscent of the whole pet rock thing, isn't it? Like, you care for your pet yeah. rock and, you know, trying to sort of give it a sort of an official uh, beingness almost, saying it's a being, it's a little being, you know? But it's not. It's like on the back it says, get your winky to wash your hamster, clean your closet. How would you wash your hamster? What the fuck is going on? Does it say wash your hamster? Paul, I've known hamster owners for uh, all my life. I've never heard about them washing it. They have that. They take their own baths. What is going on? Wash your hamster. Use your winky to wash your hamster. God, shut up. This is the kind of copy you write when you are off your sparkling tits <laughs> on Coke. Isn't it? It so is. It so is. It's a Coke product. <laughs> Basically, to cut a long story short, a few months later, a guy who listens to the podcast called Ross Hudson very kindly sent you and I 
our own Winkies, bespoke Winkies, that, again, pictures on our website, that he managed to, I don't know what you call, backwards engineer his own yeah, Winky badge. Essentially, he did backward engineer it. Because this is what I mean about it being quite a standard configuration on the, on the actual uh, chip, on the on the chipboard. So here's the thing. I'm, I spoke to him about this because I wanted to know, you know, what he figured out. And he said, I don't, have, I don't have too much to say, but he sent me this. Now, I'm going to say off the top of my head, I don't know anything of what he's talking about right now, but it makes sense to him and it might make sense to others listening. So when I asked him about the makeup of it, the technological makeup of it, he went, and this is what he said. It's quite technically impressive that it operates on just three volts. My guess is that the circuit inside the chip on board is a flip-flop multi-vibrator based on CMOS logic. Would you like to make a job joke about multi-vibrator flip-flop? I don't need to. I just say. All right. Uh... Moving on. CMOS, which I don't know what that is, was around well before the 80s, but it was quite expensive and almost definitely wouldn't have been used in toys. In 1984, I think it was still newfangled to some degree. TTL is the more traditional, cheaper logic family, but it uses comparatively a lot of power and couldn't operate at that lower voltage at the time, as far as I'm aware. Also, LEDs were also quite expensive at the time and not something you would typically expect to be in a toy. So thank you, Ross Hudson. You can follow him on Twitter at Hoss Rudson if you wish to. Uh, and thank you for the badges. They are excellent. The badges are amazing. And they have little upgrades on the original, don't they? Because they have a little switch, an actual yeah. little switch. You got it, So you can put it on the contacts or you can put it on uh, just flashing green, red. It's interesting what he says about them being very expensive at the time. Mm. And, he, and what he's saying there essentially, Paul, as well, is that he can't really figure out how they got a battery powerful enough for that. Because his version is much larger, at least twice the size of your of yeah. the original Winkies. But they are lovely, and they have our, my name on, and it's like a unique bespoke Winkie I, I treasure. We've got a nice little Winky collection between the vinyl and the badges and all the little bits and bobs we've got, and a few other surprises, which we'll get into later. What I will do to end Ooh. this segment off, though, briefly, is just to mention that, you know, at this point, he has to sell the damn thing. And we do know it wasn't sold nationally. It was sold only on the West Coast. Sorry, the, the other point I was going to say is that it seems to me a little clue about why it failed so spectacularly is because of uh, budgets and overheads. Because Ross was saying they were very expensive. So perhaps, it, you know, it, it looks like it didn't make sense in terms of a unit price sort of uh, proposition. You and know? that's it, selling it on a loss, but hopefully the publicity that he was going to drum up for it would sell it. So, yeah. you know, it'd be the, this, it'll be the Rubik's Cube of, of 1985 or whatever. Yeah. It's like, all we do know, all we do know is that it was only sold at the billboard, which we're going to get to next, or in kind of, smaller convenience store chains and things like that. Right. So it was a small, you know, release. Only a few shops were selling it. So, Dr. Winky, how do you sell this damn thing? Well, he had a genius idea. And that's where we're going to next. So, he's got the badge. He's got probably a few retailers willing to sell it. But how do you promote it? You can't really go on national TV. Maybe he didn't have the budget to make an advert for it. We don't know. But we do know that at some point, he decided to revolutionise the flagpole sitter. So it was uh, the fl- it was a variation on a theme. Maybe. It's like, it's become quite common practice now with competitions like Touch the Truck, where you get 30 volunteers to put their hand on a truck and 
the last one standing wins the truck. So it could take days, it could take weeks, you know. So it's an endurance test. But that's what pole sitting was always, wasn't it? People tried to break a record by living on a pole for as long as possible. Yeah, if you there's a great episode of The Dollop all about it. But effectively, yeah, it was a craze in the early 20th century where people just sat on the top of a flagpole for fucking ages. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, it's a different time. But also, Paul, I think that the history of that as an activity goes back a lot further to holy men, holy men or ascetics who used to do it as part of being a, like a monk or whatever, you know? Yeah, weren't there stories of monks' bodies being found where they kind of self-mummified or something? On top of a pole, yeah, on top of a thing, like, yeah. The, the way that, you know, like a, a Sufi or something, someone will go, or, a, a, you know, a guru type will go into a cave. Yeah. They used to go on top of poles as well. Well, so uh, somehow, some way, Dr. Winky decided to promote this in the best way possible. And to be fair, the idea he had is kind of genius. What he decided to drum up was an idea where on Sunset Strip, he would buy or rent a massive billboard and then there would be an endurance competition where people would live on the billboard for as long as possible and (laughs) the last man or woman standing will win the prize of, I think it was a car and and a screen test. Things we'll probably get to in a little while. And cash money as well. What's interesting is I found an article from, again, Rolling Stone, funnily enough, from February 1985, talking about Sunset Strip. And today, well, 85, billboards on Sunset Strip tell a more eclectic story. So it's kind of like a history of Sunset Strip, specifically a certain area of Sunset Strip because it goes on for miles but the place we all know about is where oh. the nightclubs are no, I didn't know Chateau that. Mormont. I didn't know that so it's like it goes on for a long time and there's different bits of it basically there's a stretch of it which is known because it has Tower Records on one road it has the Viper Club it's got all those kind of yeah. places that's the, the Playboy yeah Playboy offices were there I think as well yes but what it became also known for was its billboards which were huge and As the years gone on, they were great for advertising movie events and things. The article says, It is billboards, not buildings, that give the strip its special character and its special place in 20th century Americana. Although the rock revolution of the 1960s and 70s, billboards advertised the latest rock albums and loomed over the strip like alien creatures. They were enormous, oversized, the world's largest, no doubt, and their colours and images were electric in both intensity and impact. The strip was a living museum to contemporary music, its face undergoing the equivalent of radical plastic surgery with every fluctuation of the Billboard Top 100. Times and billboards change, and last year the most striking billboard on the strip featured a car. Not a photograph of a car, but an actual car (laughs) dangled from the side of a billboard with a working engine. (laughs) The car has long since been the quintessential symbol of Los Angeles, because obviously you need to get around. It's freeway city, and it's the world's biggest parking lot. Now this is where it starts talking about Winky, because randomly the story just popped up. So this year, the article says, the most striking billboard on the strip featured human beings, live human beings. This billboard advertises something called Winky, whatever that is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whatever the fuck that is. (laughs) Dismissed. And bears sturdy scaffolding to support the many would-be actors and actresses who have entered the 85 equivalent of flagpole sitting. They aspire to fame and fortune and spend weeks at a time sitting on the platform that runs along the bottom of the billboard. Whoever sits there the longest is supposed to win, amongst other things, a screen test. So, that's that bit of the article. Interesting. Do you know what occurred to me just then? It's the way the, the writer says... 
Winky, whatever that is. It's yeah. that there's an inherent problem with this competition to live on top of the billboard being a promotion for Winky because they're completely unconnected conceptually. And do you know what I mean? It, it's bad. It's bad marketing. It says a lot about fads of the time, meaning that they haven't heard about it. So who gives a fuck? And also there'll be something bigger and better on that billboard in six weeks time or six yeah. months time in this case. So yeah. there's always a sense of maybe today with Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, it might have caught on. But back then it was kind of like a freak show. Yes. I, I'd imagine. Um, it, a lot of aspects of this story make you think about how the whole landscape of media was different then as well. Because you talk yeah. about Winky trying to take the New York scene over to the other coast, you know. Which we'll get to. <laughs> you know, that's only something where you'd have these separate cultures in different locations, you know. And now it's yeah, it's there's no sort of moving a culture anywhere. It's all everywhere. Everything is everywhere now. I would argue there's a lot of factors why Winky didn't catch on. And it might have been, you know, financially, his eyes being bigger than his belly. But either way, he built this massive billboard. And if you see the pictures, you can see it. It's interesting. It's massive, massive Winky badge with big red and green flashing lights. And then along the side of it, women in bikinis, you know, painted, looking sexy. Okay. And then a few bits of, like, advertising for other companies bedded into that. Oh, there is other other adverts in it. Crikey. Yeah, oh. like call Bob's local convenience store for whatever. Well, that kind of why thing. Why would you call us the convenience store? I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's not the best example. I'm just trying to prove a point that it was low-end advertising. Yeah, yeah. I get you. I get you. Local advertising. Small, small stuff, yeah. But what I didn't notice until really recently is that if you look at the billboard, there's only one painted gentleman on the advertisement, and it is... Dr. Winky himself, him. surrounded by sexy women. Yeah. yeah. And if it's not, it certainly bloody looks like him. Right. I mean, if he designed that billboard, I can't imagine he didn't paint himself with his ego. Because I imagine he's got a friggin' ego. Well, as obviously well. he does. And does the character who you, you claim is a, a representation of Dr. Winky himself, is he wearing sunglasses? Because I know. He... Not in that picture, okay. though. That's the interesting thing. He's not. All oh, right. And also on the billboard, there was a phone number because the idea is as the competition went on, whoever lived on the billboard longest, they could talk to people because they had a phone number. So you could phone. There was a phone the on top. And there was a phone on... up there, wasn't there? There was two phones on top of the uh, top yeah. up there with them. So anyone could phone. There was, and then there was a counter of like days gone by. So like, you know, days on the billboard, one, yeah. two, whatever. Yeah. And then at some point, this advert goes out. And this is what was put in a newspaper, probably LA Sentinel or LA Times, whatever. It says, be a star on sunset, enter the actor's billboard marathon, reach for the stars, a screen test and a free car. Starting December 1st, 20 selected actors and actresses will compete in a living billboard marathon on Sunset Boulevard. That's right living and if you can stay up on the billboard longer than anyone else you'll win all the prizes plus lots of national publicity to enter send your resume and photo to the billboard marathon blah 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 no walk-ins or telephone calls deadlines and photos from resumes is november 5th Hmm. and then when we discovered this in the story i think it kind of blew our minds that a song we'd never heard of about a toy we'd never heard of had an event this big that we'd never heard of yeah at this point, when we were discovering about the competition, we couldn't, for the life of us, think why the song was French, could we? I mean... No. And it, but luckily... There was no mention... We may have an answer to that later. We've got an answer coming up later, Paul. But 
<laughs> it was it, it's strange isn't it because there was no mention of the song in any of this stuff we were finding out about dr winky was there no mention no. whatsoever to cut a long story short ladies and gentlemen we talk about it on the podcast and then out of the blue and i need to talk about the timeline somewhat out of the blue i got an email to our website from a lady called penny and penny said and i quote i'm the bitch with the fruit <laughs> that's so bizarre i'm the bitch with the fruit what fruit <laughs> i mean well in amongst all the crazy stories that happened eventually and this is the potted version eventually a bunch of people went up on the billboard it came down to four one was a stuntman one was an actor uh one was a model uh it, there was a wedding on there between... We found out there was a wedding that took place between one of the participants and one of the ladies who helped out with the organisation. And it turned out that the woman who married one of the Jeffs... God, I hate telling this story because it goes all over the place and I just want to tell you it You haven't clearly. even mentioned the Jeffs yet. You haven't. You just mentioned Jeff, the Jeffs, and yet we don't. they don't know about the Jeffs. So, also, I'm getting to it. You're misrepresenting Penny. Cal- calm down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, a bunch of people went up in December of 1984 and by june 1985 there was four left one of them was about to get married on the billboard the stories go everywhere right one of them was a stuntman but after six months and all the crazy stories of what took place on this billboard it it was over and then that's kind of for us where the story ended until i got that email from penny i started talking to penny and she goes yeah i'm the woman who you talked about who married the guy jeff stewart on the billboard now, at the end of the thing, there was four people. Jeff Stewart, Jeff Olan, Jeff Winky. Absolutely random, but a guy, a stuntman called Jeff Winky. He was called w- up on the Wanky. It's not spelled well, as... Well, Winky. Yeah, w- something. Winky. Fanky. Either way, hey, another Fanky. Winky. Hey, Jeff Fanky. I'm Jeff... And Fan- a model called Sherry Davis, right? We had so many loose ends and stories that when I got the email from Penny, I was kind of like, oh, all right, we'll organise an interview. And we started talking back and forth, and she was a bit guarded, and I kind of left it for a bit. And then I reached out to the other Jeff, Jeff Olan, who then I discovered had a website. And on that website was newspaper clippings and photographs of his time on the board. It turns out he ran a casting agency. I got in touch with him. I was meant to meet up with him last year in America. Didn't pan out. Again, that's something I filed away. Lockdown happens, and I go, well, let's reach out to them both again. So I reached out to Jeff, and I reached out to Penny. And they both agreed to speak. And so we are now going to talk to people who lived on the billboard and you're going to hear the story and their experience their way. It's fascinating. Well, to be technically correct, Paul, Penny didn't actually live on the billboard. She, she, uh... No. Jeff was one of the last four. There was three Jeffs and Sherry Davis. That They were the last yeah. four. And Sherry Davis, yeah. well... You'll have to make up your own mind, listener, about Sherry Davis. Well, Sherry Davis is is it's a sad, it might be a sad story. We don't know, but it's certainly an interesting story. And there, there, there's contradictions, as you'll hear as we list as we speak to Jeff and Penny. Now, it is I, Paul Gannon, because Eli wasn't available, speaking to Jeff Olan and his time and experiences on that billboard in 1984, stroke five. It's about 40 minutes. So settle in. It's fascinating. I'm sure you're going to love it. And you'll see me and Eli on the back end with our reactions. We've kind of pieced most of the story together now, but we still can't figure out why there was a 
song to advertise an American toy that was in the limited lease on the East Coast, but released in French and only in France. And that's what blows my mind. So it's all of these bubbling questions that I hope you can help answer some of today. Uh, I'll be able to answer some, but I'm going to be honest with you. The song yeah. thing, that's, that whole song thing, yeah. I, I never knew anything about that. Really? Yeah. So you you know you're getting um, I mean you're getting you're getting the self-proclaimed spokesman right now of yeah. the billboard. Because that's <laughs> yeah. I mean I got as much I got so much publicity it was beyond. But when you said that you found this, yeah, in the in the old vinyl. Oh no I no! Like, I'll, I'll show you. No, we didn't find the badge. Bear with me one second. Sure. Oh, bear with me. Hang on. I got you, man. I got you. So we found this. It's a oh piece, my God. it's a 12 inch. We've also got the, the, the seven inch, but this is the 12 inch uh, Winky album, uh, single. When was that, when was that dated? Uh, bear with me, I will Did try and tell you. Yeah, because I'll There's see. There's very little information on the music. Um, 85. It's 85. 85. Yeah, 85. sorry. So I guess the question would be then, Paul, yeah. is, is Lawrence Lynn or Dr. Winky anywhere on that music? Uh, album absolutely not okay so i think it was somebody who maybe saw the the whole winky billboard thing and maybe took something off of there i'm not sure maybe i never knew anything about that that's that's bizarre to me because that's kind of the part of the story that makes the least sense to me because as i say it was like a limited uh, released kind of toy blah, blah 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 and yet in a different part of the world there's a french man and we i can't remember his name off the top of my head now and i might French pronunciation is also awful. But the two guys who made this, one was in like a well-known French art pop band of the 80s. And then he disappeared off the face of the earth. I don't know who owns the rights to the song anymore because it's been bought by different companies over its time and they've right. disappeared and eaten up by other companies. But he had a YouTube channel. And when we found the YouTube channel, the only video was him doing French rap to the image of a cat smoking a blunt and a brick wall <laughs> and someone said it translates as in it translates into some kind of Nost nostradamus prophecy of the future and then we found out in the 10 years it's been up on youtube we were the only viewer of it no one view no kidding i you know that that's 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 amazing first of all and first and, and second the the fact that you had would you uh, your show talking mm. about Winky on YouTube blew, yeah. me away, blew me away because for years, for years, I had searched, I had searched interviews that I've done. I did so many interviews so yeah. many years ago, but it's so many years ago. I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't know where they are. Who kind, where, you know, they're in some some sort of archives. Yeah. Okay. So uh, with that all being said because now I'm in podcast mode. <laughs> yeah. uh, just, uh, just explain who you are and how you got involved in this. Tell me your entry into this whole weird universe. So you know, I'm Jeff Olin. O-L-E-N. I don't know if you need any of that or if that's okay. No, it's so, all good. Um, I was an actor when I, when I first came out to Los Angeles 30-some years ago. I was an actor, came out from Indiana, um, like so many others, you know, chasing the dream, seeing mm. how we can – you know, get my name out there a little bit and what have you. And I saw this, I saw this little ad in the, uh, what was, at the time it was called the um, Dramalogue. It was a actor's newspaper 
that gave you all kinds of, you know, tips or audition tips or this or that or whatever. And it had in there, be a star on Sunset Boulevard, enter the Winky Billboard Marathon. <laughs> you'll get a screen test, you'll get a car, you'll get all these like products from a company that was called Shackley, Shackley Products, like okay. thousands of dollars worth. And you'll get to, you know, meet people and become basically a star. So I saw this, I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. Hmm. Let me, um, let me, let me, you know, put my name in and, and see what happens. Well, I get called down to an interview. They had interviewed somewhere in the neighborhood of about 400 people. Now at the time, Paul, you got to remember, this was the first reality show without cameras going. Okay. Cause there had there been things like kind of touch the truck marathons and things like that. Little things like that. Yeah. I just found out yesterday, actually somebody I know her uncle lived mm. on a flagpole someplace in the Midwest. Flagpole sitters, yeah. I've, yeah, yeah, yeah. For many, many, many days. So there was all kinds of things. People were trying to break world records and mm. all that. That wasn't something that I went up there for. When I, when I got the call that said, hey, you're one of the people. Can you give up? Can you give up your apartment? Can you give up your life? Can you give up everything and get up on the billboard? And, and, and basically, it was king of the hill. Yeah. And I said... I, because I had already made the uh, decision I was going to do this if I was selected. Mm. I said, absolutely, let's go for it. And Now, with that in mind, with that yeah. in mind, do, what do you think they were looking for when they were looking for people? Because, yeah, I don't know, what were they looking for, do you think? I, I think a lot of it had to do with, um, you know, kind of a little bit of, like, what producers look for today. They look for either a great story that's going to go, you know, bad mm. or they're looking for someone who could really in this case talk up their product and yeah. i was a, i i was and i still am a very good communicator um i know how to talk i know how to you know reach people and and i believe that's what they that's what they went with me on i believe i told them at the time i was i had uh, i had been a disc jockey for a station back in indiana um, and they knew that I was an actor and I have a, you know, pretty outgoing personality. Okay. And I believe that's, that's a good part of why they, why they selected me. So they were looking for kind of colorful characters, but ones that could also communicate what they were basically selling through their promotion. Right. Because, you know, I, I think you had mentioned, you know, it was a bunch of actors. So we had 12 people that went up there and mm. out of the 12 people, there were seven guys and five women. And there wow. was mostly actors. There was um, uh, a boxer, an amateur boxer. There was an a amateur, uh, some sort of model. Okay. Uh, there was a guy in production. That was uh, Jeffrey Stewart. Yeah. And there was a stuntman, which is a whole other crazy story later. We'll get into okay, that. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay, cool. Because the other thing as well is that when they sit you down and you get there, did they explain the product? Did you know too much about that side of things going in we knew a little bit we were given um we were given the winky product wait i might as well show this now people aren't going to see this except oh my god oh that's amazing it, for those listening it is a massive winky is it taken from the sign no oh I was this, gonna say. Actually, this actually had the lights in it the uh yeah the red and the green light and the green light and I don't know what happened to those over the last 30 some years, but it's a, it's a big piece of plexiglass that was on top. It was like connected to the front of the billboard. 
And it's one of the uh, the best things that I got from it. <laughs> it's beautiful. I'm just taking a screen grab now so I can actually put it in with the metadata when I save the episode. All yeah, right, wonderful. I usually, I, I usually do say I have the biggest winky around. Because <laughs> that's the other thing as well, is that I get the meaning of it because it blinks, it winks, you know. But at the same time, it's a <laughs> stupid name. <laughs> it, it really is. Because, you know, my first thought is someone goes, can I show you my winky? It's just to call the police. <laughs> so true so yeah. true and yeah. also did you know anything of dr winky at the time because i think we're going to be bouncing around somewhat but yes, from you i get the impression that he owned extronics which was the billboard company but they also somehow made this toy and he designed it yeah so he came out he came out with this uh, as you say the toy uh which was to be uh as uh, you had uh, previously said the pet rock of the mm. 80s. Um, you can also take it and it had these little things where you could put it on as an earring yeah. or you could put it on as a pin uh, a lapel, on your lapel or what have you. And uh, so he came up with that. Yeah. Uh, we didn't know. The contestants did not know as much about him um, as he probably knew about us. Okay. Uh, he was a very secretive man, yet he was a very, um, very intelligent and very... Um, um, yeah, very, yeah, very secretive and, uh, and, you know, you, you try to get information out of him. You couldn't always, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I did a pretty good job of, uh, trying to pick his brain. Yeah. Um, we knew that he had owned, uh, a, a nightclub or two in San Francisco. Yeah. Um, there was only one contestant up on the billboard that knew more about him because she came from San Francisco, oh, okay. uh, which is a whole nother story. Oh, wow. Because that, that, again, I get from the pieces that I've learned about him, to say he's had a checkered history is, is interesting because I think he's had his high points and his low points. Yes. But as far as I'm concerned, he comes across like a, the man behind the curtain, the Wizard of Oz kind of thing. That's exactly it. That's yeah. exactly it. And he wore these really, uh, and I'll send you some, uh, some photos. He wore these really, you know, kind of, uh, he always wore shades, never showed his eyes, always wore shades. <laughs> yeah. It was usually almost in all light. I mean, he was, a, <laughs> he was a character, and he said yeah. to all of us, he said, you'll call me Dr. Winky. That's my name. Call me Dr. Winky. That's so strange. Because, again, when we're kind of going backwards and piecing it all together from, like, where we were when we started doing the digging in the podcast, it was like, oh, what a coincidence that the eventual wedding took place at the nightclub owned by Dr. Winky. That must have been fortuitous. But it's like, no, it's, I can see how it all works now, knowing that he was that man in the first place. You know, we did, like I said, we didn't, we did not know um, as much about it. He had, uh, he had gathered us all up. He picked 12 out of the, um, uh, you know, 400 or mm. so people, little, little under 400. He picked us and he set us all down and he said, you know, we're up here to promote this product. This is what it does. Uh, you guys are the, uh, the, the spokespeople of it, but actually it's the billboard. And okay. this is a contest to see who can live on the billboard the longest. This is what you're going to win. This is what you're going to get. But as we went on and this thing continued and month after month after month, yeah, a lot of the rules per se started to break down a little bit and different things had happened. Okay. Because uh, did, did they give you a rough estimate of how long they expected you to be on there? Or was it kind of they were always moving the goalposts? <laughs> They were they were moving the goalposts, but also us contestants were moving the goalposts. But they they told us they thought we would be up there maybe three weeks, maybe a month at the longest. 
Because it was, was it, is it just before or just after Christmas that you started? It was um, December 11th, 1984. That's a strange time to kick it off when it's so near to Christmas, but maybe they're thinking toy for Christmas and things like that. But how did you prepare for it? So they say yes. You're ready to go. What are those first, like, that, those first few days, that first week like? You know, it was pretty crazy because here I was. I, I just knew I was going to stay up there. No matter what it took, I was going to stay there. Mm. And so my oldest brother at the time had lived in L.A. He, um, he would come and pick up my laundry and do my laundry for me. <laughs> okay. So he kind of knew what his job was going to be from the get-go. I, uh, I sublet my apartment out in Santa Monica. Mm. I parked my car. That was it. I, 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 uh, I, I got my sleeping blanket and I got enough wardrobe that could last me for about a week Yeah, and um, packed everything up, went off and, you know, I, told my friends and family uh, and of course heard everything from what the, <laughs> what the <laughs> you are doing what? Yeah. I can, the thing is, I can totally see that at that period in LA being involved in something like this had to have been certainly from someone from your point of view, you can't miss it. You need to at least see what it tasted like. It was beyond like anything I could even tell you or your audience. It was, uh, it was beyond. And, and, you know, as you, well, I want your audience to know this and you probably yeah. already know, uh, but Sunset Strip uh, in West Hollywood, it's the most famous strip in the Hollywood, Los Angeles area. And yeah. it's known for its billboards. So that's why Dr. Winky said, let's make it a living billboard. Let's put mm. people up there, live on this billboard. And I, by golly, we're going to get them attention. And we got attention from all over, all over the world. Again, it seems like it's a story that more people should have known about or certainly lingered. You, you know, you, you would think so. But you got to you know, also remember there was, no, um, there was no social media back there. No. Back then. There was, you know, no cell phones. There was, you know, so we had, it was, it was before the time. I mean, now it's like, if, if you did something like that, uh, the whole world would know, but mm. it was crazy. We'd be up on that billboard. We'd be doing things. And because of us being there uh, and because of the special permits that Lawrence got, you know, yeah. uh, we were able to stay as long as we could, but there was accidents that was, were caused mm. because they were seeing people up there and people moving around on the billboard in the day and the nighttime. Yeah. Uh, there was, more people that came by that did things that you wouldn't even know. I mean, you could get into that now or then. I mean. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll just roll through it and see what we can pick up. Because I, even now, as I'm talking to you, I'm thinking, I, I, I can't spare the man four hours of his day while I ask him every single question I want to know. Like, I am, you, I'm here for you, man. What did you want to do in the bad weather? How did you cope? Blah, blah, blah. Oh, you know, it's just there's so much going on. There, there's so much, and you know, I've been I've been writing about this for for a long time now. But it is, uh, it is, it's an unbelievable. Uh, it was an unbelievable experience, uh, mm. and so I will just tell you this: that uh, you know, I mentioned there was a stunt man up there. Yes, that stunt man. You know, he taught us all how to rappel off the billboard down to the ground and then go right back up. <laughs> um, we had a guard on us. We had a 24-hour guard that would yeah. time. We had uh, three three. Um, 10-minute breaks and one 20-minute break to go use the facilities, have mm. some fun, whatever, whatever, whatever. And there was plenty of fun, let me tell you. Yeah. But, but getting back to the stunt man, a couple of times he lit himself on fire <laughs> while he was up on the billboard. So you're seeing a guy who's going back and forth on a rope on fire 
you can imagine the people on Sunset yeah. Boulevard. We got we had crowds of people that would stop and go, "What the heck is going on?" I mean, that's this amazing. Is, yeah, but also, I mean, okay, so you're with thirteen strangers, and some of you got to get on, and most of you probably won't. So, how do you keep your shit together when you're just literally killing time? Well, <laughs> well, you have to put it. You have to put it into your head. Okay. You know, this is a contest. It's a game. You know, are you going to be the winner? Or are you going to be, you know, or, or are you going to be a loser? Are you mm. going to go up there? Are you Are going to do what you got to do? So uh, a lot of it was uh, mind games. So, okay. we, you know, we all got together. We had all gone up together. We went up the ladder. We got up there. Everybody made their own little cubicles of space. You picked where you wanted to be. Mm. And at first we had literally, it was 12 people total. We had 12 cubicles of literally however we made it. We'd throw a sleeping bag out there. Some people brought uh, some plastic to put over them. Other <laughs> people brought umbrellas yeah. and chairs. And, you know, and then you made your 12 cubicles. I brought a sleeping bag and... Uh, and I was okay. I was going to be in that sleeping bag. Whatever it took, I would be on the board, on the sleeping bag, uh, because the board itself, they, they constructed a little wider, you know, okay. obviously not longer, but wider. So it was, it was three and a half feet wide from the billboard with a four-foot plexiglass around the front. Right. So it can, you know, fall off. <laughs> yeah. You've got netting around it or something as yeah, well. Right. Yeah. 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 So, so then it's like once you set it and you bed in, what was your game plan? I mean, I know it's like positivity and things like that, but there must have been nights when you thought, ah, oh, fuck this. You must have been so close. Well, I think those nights didn't come until much later, uh, much later. And I don't know if you know how long. Uh, it was six months, right? Or to June or July? Right. So there was, uh, and this is all part of the, uh, obviously, the bigger story. Yeah. In the end, there was four of us left. Uh, and there was three guys named Jeff. Uh, that, that was the other thing. So I thought that was unusual, but yeah. it's an unusual story. Why not? Oh, beyond unusual. Three guys, <laughs> three guys named Jeff. One of the guys, the stuntman, his last, last name was Winky but was spelled differently, was no relation to Dr. <laughs> so uh, what a godsend that producer had when, he, when the, a stuntman sat down and went, hello, my name is Winky. They thought, yeah, you just go to the front of the queue. You're fine. Yeah, you're right, right. And when we all found out that it was no relation whatsoever, and he was the stuntman, then there was the model from, from New York, from uh, uh, San Francisco, okay. who, who we found out later on had known them a little bit. So that was a kind of a, you know, Okay. We think it was maybe a little bit of a plant. But yeah. so there was, in the end, there was the three gals named Jeff, uh, the one guy named, the, one, the three guys named Jeff, with one gal named Sherry, and we kind of all made a pack to come down together. That's um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what, but going back to your question, Paul, is when we all got up there, everybody had in their mind, you know, kind of whatever they were going up there for, whether it was up there for, they were up there for, uh, publicity for a day they were up there to get away from something in life they were mm -hmm. up there for you know whatever because the the first couple of people left within within two days people oh, were really? out of that soon yeah um and then you know because listen you sign up for something like this and then you're up there and then you're like well wait this isn't exactly what i thought yeah. i was going to sign up for in my mind it was exactly what 
I was going to sign up for and then some. Yeah. Okay. So I watched as people, you know, left. Now I'll tell you a, a, a funny story. There was a writer up there, a guy who was writing. And at the time he was trying to write a sitcom. He had been up there for, I think about a month and a half. His literary agent brought him a chicken sandwich. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he ended up choking on a bone from the chicken sandwich that his literary <laughs> agent brought him. <laughs> wow. He was taken away in an ambulance. <laughs> that's, ter- that's a terrible way to go. He's okay. Is- oh, He's no, okay. That's- I was going to say, I hope there was a happy ending to that. He made us happy. He left and it's a happy ending. He got to keep the whole uh, chicken and, and, and his agent. <laughs> when you got down to the, the final four, it, you were six months in. And so I can imagine you had life experiences on there that you wouldn't have had anywhere else. So the, the, it came down to about the four of us in a, about, uh, about, two, um, about two months in. Okay. It dropped from 12 to four of us, two months in. Nobody wanted to leave. We were oh, all doing wow. things together. Yeah. Um, but yet we all had what was going on. Hmm. The stuntman and the model, they got together up on the <laughs> billboard. And okay. they had their fun on the billboard. Oh, um, right. <laughs> yeah, they were rocking and rolling up on that billboard. As long as he wasn't on fire at the same time, I'm fine with it. Yeah, well, he might have been on fire in her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Metaphorically speaking. Yeah, but it was a little irritating for me and the other Jeff. And then the other Jeff and I, on our breaks, we were able to go downstairs to the nearby apartment, and we would also quote-unquote, catch on fire in our own little ways because okay. there, was a lot of, um, there was a lot of fans and a lot of fan favorites, as we should say. Oh, because that was the other thing I was going to say. It's like, yeah, what, what's the action from people like that? Because I know where it eventually spins off to, but I'm, I'm gathering you were taking the cream of the crop. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would say some of, the, some of the cream and some of the crop. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, had, uh, we had people that would stop by. They would bring us food. Uh, we had people that would give us gifts. We had people that would, um, you know, just, you know, they'd come by, they'd buy the Winkies because we yeah. were able to make a couple of dollars selling those things. And uh, we got all kinds of things. I got love letters from, you know, it's funny. It's so cute. I got love letters. Uh, they see me <laughs> on the news or they saw me on a TV show. And, I, and then we also got um, uh, love songs and everything that came to us from the older, la- the older gals that we were able to get to know a little bit. Yeah. And that's how Jeff Stewart got to know his, but that's, a, that's further down the line. We had, a, we had an awful lot of fun. I had, uh, I, had a, um, <clears throat> I had a cousin at the time that was living in L.A. Mm. They, first of all, they told us, Dr. Winky and his people told us, there'll be absolutely no drinking whatsoever while you're up there. Right. We did drink one time, but that was, a new, that was for New Year's, and Fair. they actually they brought the um, champagne. But otherwise, he said, there'll be no drinking. Now, these were the 1980s. Yeah. And in the, in the mid-80s, Paul, as you probably know, <laughs> yeah. there was some other drugs. This thing is, that's what I was going to say. No drinking, but I'm pretty sure some recreational entertainment was uh, had other ways. There was. There was some recreational entertainment. Uh, there was some, uh, you know, there was a little bit of snow. And yeah. there was a little bit of um, uh, weed. I have a cousin of mine who... God, God bless them. They they brought me a big cigar box filled oh. with 
joints roll. Oh, bliss. I'd be happy. Yes, I wouldn't. Them. That's how I get rid of a few days. <laughs> that's how you do it. It's, it's, it's a memory eraser. A big box of that is just, it's God fine. bless them. Yeah. And, and let me tell you something. It's one thing living on a billboard, but it's another thing living on a billboard when you're a little bit high. <laughs> It's not, it's not even that. It's living on a billboard when you're high and a massive electronic microchip face staring <laughs> over you. I, I, the, the, the levels of absurdity is what always delights me about this story because like, it just seems like it was just a mad moment and it burnt bright, you know, for that moment. It did because you, you, know, you, showed, you showed the photos of the big billboard. Yeah, and yet yeah. Those lights, those lights up on the board were like, I mean, they were pretty, well, you, you can see it here, but yeah. you know. I don't know how to, but it's huge. I mean, really huge. I would say probably, you know, a foot, foot and a half across mm. uh, for the light round. And they would be blinking up and down Sunset Boulevard, uh, coming off of Hollywood Boulevard, you know, yeah. you know, you know the area. You know, it was, uh, it was amazing. People that saw it, they, you know, they would be stopping and honking and getting out of their cars and taking pictures. And there was so much that happened down there, you know, uh, in those days, there was a lot of the, uh, you know, the, uh, the street walkers okay. were, you know, on the street. Um, yeah, I, have yeah. a funny, I have a really funny story to tell you. I mean, <laughs> Go on. Several, yeah. several. <laughs> you know, I got to know a lot of these, got to know a lot of the girls yes. that were doing the street walking and uh, looking for their clients. Well, across the street, kitty corner from the billboard, mm. there was a cross the street from the Standard Hotel. You know, yeah. cross the street from the Standard in those days there was two pay phones and because remember there was no cell phones at the time. Yeah. And here I am and I got to know some of the gals that were walking and here I am and I could see pretty far down the street and I <laughs> saw a police car coming on down the strip. Well, I wanted to help out my new friends across <laughs> the street who were showing their legs and what have you. Yeah. So I had the number to the, to the phone uh, and I would call the phone on the oh, street. Yeah. They picked it up and I said something like, hello, Daisy. Uh, listen, you got, uh, you know, Smokey down the street about three blocks. And <laughs> run up in the hills. So move out. So I warned them and they got out of the way. A week later, her and a couple of her friends came by right in front of the billboard and asked for me. Yeah. And I came and they gave me a show like no show. They, <laughs> they, they took their tops and they hold it up and they wow. go, this is for you. Thank you. <laughs> That's great. And you think, oh, yeah, no, anytime, anytime, dear. Like anytime, anytime, exactly. Wow. You know, so, anytime. So w w with all this going on, I mean, it's, where do I even begin? Where do I even go with these stories? Because I'm <laughs> sure there's, there's all sorts of tangents we can go down. But like, fundamentally, if you're going to live and choose that lifestyle for that long a time, you kind of have to roll the punches and kind of just live differently, be different. Did you feel, I mean, just bumping along to the end a little bit, at the end when it all finished did you feel like it had been a life-changing thing or was was it an anomaly no I, I i definitely felt it was a life-changing thing because i didn't i because of all the publicity that we had gotten along the way yeah um i didn't really know what was going to happen but i knew that something something big was going to happen mm. and it was a life-changing thing and and you know when we all came down and there's a lot more to tell but when we all came down and i got home that day i you know, I went straight to my car, six okay. months not driving it, but I went to the car and I got into it and I was just going to go to a little store to pick up some groceries and I get in my car. Needless to know, 
Uh, well, for, first of all, I felt like I forgot how to drive. And then, <laughs> and then I, I get about three blocks and the car runs out of gas. So I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, you know, first of all, what was I thinking to leave the car there with no gas? But you gotta <laughs> be kidding. Yeah. So I start walking and I'm walking and I'm, and I felt like I was like walking on a cloud because I still felt like I was up in the air mm. and I was like, it was really weird. And I'm like going, Oh, this is crazy. So finally I walk into a gas station and I said to the guy, I told him, I said, Hey, I need some gas. And well, I walked into this gas station, Paul, and I said, I've got a story for you. <laughs> so this is like when a, cow, when a cowboy walks into a town and buys a, buys a beer with a story. Is it that kind of thing? That's kind of the thing, yeah. Excellent. But here's the thing. I had, no, I had no money. I did not know. Forgot, obviously. I just got yeah. into my car, forgot that you have to put a wallet into your pocket. And I go in there and I said, listen, I got this story for you. I tell him this whole story. He starts cracking up. And <laughs> nobody... Nobody would ever tell me a story like that unless it was true. Yeah. He said, I'm going to fill up a can of a gas for you, take it to your car. And I said, listen, I, I, will, bring the, I will bring the money back. I will mm. bring the gas can back. I don't think he believed me, but I did, and I did it that day. But it was, uh, it was unbelievable. So, Beautiful. yeah, it, 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 was, it was beyond. Beautiful. It was beyond. So the other thing, I just remember my point from earlier that I missed. So the other thing, obviously, having that lack of privacy. So was the attention sometimes too much? I mean, I can imagine it was also you had dickheads throwing things or hollering and all this kind of stuff. I'm sure it was like your first year of people raining on the parade. But like, did you, being that exposed, did it either liberate you or did you close up a little bit, get a bit guarded? I didn't, I didn't get guarded. I didn't get guarded because one of the reasons I went up there well, the only real, the real reason I went up there was I wanted to get, you know, I wanted to get, I wanted to get famous. I wanted to yeah. get more famous. I went, I came out as an actor. I was trying to do everything I could to get noticed. Mm. So, but, but with what you say, uh, or with, with the question that you're uh, asking, there were a few nights that maybe I was, maybe I was up a little too long or what have you. Cause you'd usually be up till two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Cause Sunset Boulevard is such a busy Boulevard at night, especially, you know, well, anytime it's busy, you got cars and you got people walking and yelling, like yeah. you said. So there were a few nights where, um, you know, I couldn't get to sleep and I was kind of irritated, but nothing that really affected me so much. We also had some torrential rains during mm -hmm. that time. And we also had, and as you know, it hardly ever rains in California, but that year it did a lot. And then we had one night of a bug infestation that were coming, you know, if you look at a billboard and you have those mm. big lights in front, whatever happened, there was millions of these like bugs that were all over the place. And literally we had to get underneath the plastic or whatever we had at that point in time. You saw the bugs like all around you. Yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah. It, it took hours for us to get rid of them. Those are the days when you think, um, is this worth it? Because <laughs> when things were getting big, when the initial explosion died off, was it hard for like even the brand to maintain the exposure. I mean, why do you think it ended when it did? Was it just that there was a line that was crossed and it was like, oh, we have to be done with this, otherwise it will be forever? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, there was a lot of that. That's exactly right. Um, we, we kept going. Nobody was leaving out of the four of us. Mm. And uh, Sherry, uh, the, the model, she ended up stop. She stopped talking. That was her way of trying to get rid of us. So she stopped talking. Oh, there, there, listen, I... I'm just telling you, there are yeah. there are a million stories. <laughs> I know, a million, a million. We I know, hours. 
But yeah. she stopped talking for about two weeks because that was her way to try to get rid of us. So she yeah. stopped talking. Okay. Meanwhile, the guys, all the guys, we kind of uh, we kind of formed together, the three Jeffs, and and we just said, hey. You know, and then finally in the end, we just said, okay, let's all of us come down together. Mm. We'll take the prize. The, the, we'll take the prizes. We'll take the prize money and we'll split it up. And so that's what we decided to do. And we all started coming down the stairs together. Mm. But then Sherry ran back up to the top of the stairs. <laughs> they declared her the official winner. Really? That, that's why we said that we believe maybe from the get-go she was a plant for the company. Oh, I see. So their friend could end up potentially winning it as a backfield right. for kind of being involved in the first place. But, no, when I came down, uh, me personally, I mean, um, it, yeah, it was really strange. But, but we came down with a wedding, uh, which you uh, preluded yeah. to in your, in your earlier. And by the way, yeah. uh, I am one of the proud owners of the Keith Herring invitation. Because I've seen, I think we mentioned the podcast, but even prints of that are a thousand dollars. Yeah, now. And yeah. And I'll take a I'll, well. You have you saw it, but I have it. I have it somewhere. And that's uh, beautiful because the story, as I understand it, was because originally I thought it was two people on the billboard that got married, but no, it was someone who called in to a radio station. Or no, please no. tell me, because obviously you know, not me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm trying to tell me tell you your history, but go on. Oh, I love this. I love this. This is great. This is great. So Penny, Penny yeah. Floyd, who uh, ended up getting married to Jeff Stewart. Okay. Uh, Jeff was the, uh, he was, a, he was working in production and uh, he went up on the billboard and in one of his earlier comments through one of the newspapers, they said, why'd you come up here? He said, well, I came up here to find a wife. <laughs> he was way, before Tinder, way before Tinder. Way before Tinder. Way before. Yeah. And he was, he was probably somewhat joking, but he, yeah. you know, he, for whatever reason, he went up there. And so we had four telephone lines that were up on the billboard that Extronics put up there for us. People could call us from all over. There was the telephone number on the billboard, call these guys. And mm. from every part of the country and the world, we would get phone calls. And um, he picked up the phone one day and he ended up talking to Penny. And one thing led to another. And then he invited her to come see him. But he couldn't, at that point in time, he couldn't take her up on the billboard. There was okay. no yes up yeah. on the billboard at that point in time. <laughs> now I get the impression that there are hooded figures being gathered up there at certain times of the day. We got up there eventually, yeah. Yeah, and sure. so, well, Winky wasn't always watching over it. No, no. So, so Jeff Stewart uh, and his Winky, so they, they went down to meet her. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we, had, we had an apartment down below that we could take our breaks in with whomever we wanted to. Fair and, enough. and he started inviting Penny into the, you know, the break room. It, yeah. was, a, it was an apartment. One thing led to another and uh, they decided, uh, well, what had happened was they, they, you know, they fell in love and hmm. then Dr. Winky said to them, how about we'll, we'll take care of the wedding. We'll pay for everything. Yeah. Will you do it. Will you do it up here on the billboard? And this, how long was this into it? Was it towards the back end of the time? Like this was the the planning of all this probably started about four months into it. Okay. Oh wow. Okay. Maybe four and a half. But then what happened in about the fifth month, maybe the, uh, maybe fifth, the start of the fifth month, or maybe the middle of the fifth month, the billboard company, which this billboard company was not Extronics, it was okay. a different billboard company. 
the billboard company, from what we understand is that Extronix stopped or were late on payment to keep us up there. Also, I think the city of, of uh, West Hollywood and Hollywood wanted to get us down from there by this time. Fair play. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, well, okay, this is good yeah. enough. So about the fifth month, give or take, we're up there. We know there's going to be this wedding. Mm. We had planned for it. There's a lot of stuff that happened from the time that he asked her to marry him until the wedding itself. And again, like I said, that's a whole nother. Yeah. Um, I believe they tried to get people to do the, the ceremony, but a lot of people said no. So they got, was it a, a random rabbi came by to do it? Right, it was a, yeah, it was, a, it was a rabbi that they found. Uh, and, um, you know, who, because it was the most like, Un, I mean, who who does a who does a wedding <laughs> on a billboard? I know. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, a rabbi or a priest or anyone. Who anyone, would go yeah. So you know, we got somebody. They had the hoppa, and it was a great. It was a really wonderful, wonderful time. But what happened, Paul? Which is interesting, and I'm sure you're going to find this to be very interesting in your audience. Okay. The, the billboard company, because that that last month wasn't paid. That that fifth month, I believe. Hmm. The billboard company came while we were still up there with their big trailer trucks, <laughs> with their cranes, and they took down the facade of the billboard. Oh wow! So they took down the 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 winky, the blinking lights. They yeah. took it all down, and it was just the the planks across. Wow! But we still stayed there. We didn't come down because <laughs> I guess they couldn't evict you. I, I guess at this point, it would be a weird way to end it. To be fair, a stuntman on fire swinging. <laughs> I can't even imagine it. It would be like the end of Duck Soup or something. It would just be odd, <laughs> odd. Yeah. So, so the wet. So the and then the reception that took place at is it was it called D Eight or something? Whatever Winky's nightclub was. Was that after everyone came down, or was there something going on that you just weren't invited to? No, we uh, we all came down. We all went to the reception. Uh, it was that in itself was bizarre because it was just not. It really wasn't put together right. Uh, Dr. Winky, you know, like I said, great, great guy. He had spent so much money on, uh, you know, putting putting us up there. It cost a lot of money to put us yeah. up there and get permits and all that. He didn't spend a lot of money on this wedding. Uh, he didn't come through <laughs> promises. It was not really at the nightclub uh, that he had mentioned it would be at. It was actually at a much smaller place. Um, everybody went over there. But by this time, I think, uh, I think everybody just wanted to get out of there. It was like, you know, enough yeah. was enough. And, and at he, this point, yeah. Sorry, at this point, because obviously every now and then it's weird to actually mention the product in all of this. But the badge itself, do you know anything about what happened with that? Because I know that it was released. I imagine around the same time you went up on the billboard. But you know, to the best of my knowledge, it was only released in that California state. I don't believe it sold anywhere else. Did you know what the sales were like? Did you know what Dr. Winky's reaction to all that was, or was it just so insular that it didn't matter to you? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I was. Uh, I was pretty much. I think I was pretty much done. Now, I could tell you. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll tell you a story about that too. But I was pretty much done. I think everybody was pretty much done. They had had it. Um, and Doctor Winky, we had found out by that point in time that you know behind those behind his sunglasses was a man that wasn't being a hundred percent complete with us on a lot. We believe that that whole billboard thing wasn't necessarily for the product of Winky. We believe it was Dr. Winky's narcissistic personality that okay. he wanted to pe he wanted people to know about him. And okay. it was the great, like you said, Oz, the great Dr. Winky behind the curtain. And mm. that's what we believe had happened there. 
Now go backwards for a second, and I will tell you, he and his couple of people, cronies, people yeah. who work with him, had approached me. They they brought me into the office in the apartment down below. This was about uh, three weeks, give or take, till the end of the thing. And they asked okay. me if I would like to do this again in New York. And this is the story I was going to tell you. So <laughs> Go on. I'll tell you. If you have time, I'll tell you. Please, please. I've got all the time if, I, if you've got it. <laughs> right. I've got it. So they asked me if I would get into a pickup truck with part of the billboard, drive cross country to New York because I was the best spokesperson for the product yeah. and for what they wanted to do. They would do the same thing in New York. Well, I declined because it had already been six months. I saw what was going on. I didn't want to go to New York. Yeah. I knew the weather in New York, you know, was going to be probably very humid over the summer and I didn't need to be sitting on a billboard for another six weeks. So what they did was they took Sherry, the person who they determined the winner. Oh, yeah. They took her. Now here's the story that is the, this is the million dollar story. <laughs> <laughs> so they take Sherry, they drive cross country. She's up on this billboard has the, the phone number, call her, blah, blah, blah. Some years later, I'm working, I'm starting on my career as, as I gave up acting for casting, starting my career, and a guy that I started working with in a casting company out here in Los Angeles, he and I start talking and he tells me about the story about years prior, out of his 17th floor in New York City, condo he saw this billboard across the street with this big number on it and he and his buddy yeah. called the number up went up to the billboard to meet this girl sherry yeah I, I even said to him i said was her name sherry and he goes how do you know <laughs> turned out he and i became partners many years later wow it's a small universe isn't it small very small so very the small. aftermath of that you came down Again, things I'm a bit fuzzy on. Were you given the promised rewards? What what happened with all of that? Uh, not too much of anything. We were uh, we were promised um, we were promised a, uh, you know a car, a screen test, mm. all these products. Probably at that point in time in the mid '80s, uh, uh, it, maybe it came out to five six thousand dollars. We were just going to take it, split yeah. it up, say adios. This was this was really cool. For one person, it would have been nice, but there was the four of us that yeah. were. Uh, we came down, and right as soon as we got down, because it was already in the papers, uh, some of the newspapers were, were doing things saying, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's some bad blood up on the billboard, this and that, oh. whatever. People got a, in touch with some stories, and there was Hollywood lawyers that came to us to want to represent <laughs> us to try to, you know, to try to go after Dr. Winky and whatever, whatever. But yeah. nothing happened out of it. I'm the only one that I know right now that even has a story on it and who has done anything on it over the years. And as I told you earlier, I am, uh, I am friends with, uh, with Jeff Stewart, Jeffrey Stewart. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he pretty much buried it for about, uh, umpteen years until I brought it to his attention that I was doing something with it. And, uh, he's a co-producer with me on something we're putting together. Um, yeah, you know, it was uh, it was it was a time of my life that obviously I'll I'll, I'll never forget. It mm. was the stories that came out of it. I ended up getting you know a publicist out of it, uh, an, an agent out of it. Yeah. Um, I was uh, 
I was really lucky because I just said I was going to do this, make the best of it, and uh, and make as many um, just get whatever I could out of it. And and you know now years later, I mean, look, I'm talking to you, mm. thirty what, thirty some about thirty five and a half, thirty six years later. Yeah, I would have know? been six and a half when this happened. What are you really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just getting over the thrill of Ghostbusters. <laughs> I so. love it. I love it. Oh my God. But you know, so many years later and here I am still talking about it. I yeah. have had in my office at my, uh, my casting company, you know, Jeff Olin casting. Yeah. I have pictures and people will come in and they'll go, are you kidding me? You did that? How long? You know, mm. still the same questions. You know, my parents, God love them. They're, they're gone now, but you know, everybody would go up to my parents and go, you know, your son is doing what? And, uh, <laughs> My mom would always say, listen, some people, their sons are lawyers and others are doctors. And our good son, Jeff, is a billboard sitter. Yeah. You know what? There are worse things in life to be. Seriously. It's like, what would you rather be, an accountant or have a life full of stories? And I think I'd rather have a life full of stories, frankly. Yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you. And the stories are, the the stories are endless, Paul. Yes. There was so much. That I'm, I'm just, I've just given you a, a little bit of a taste of it. Yeah, uh, even, even this little taste has been exquisite. So thank you very much for this already. Oh, I really yeah. appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. This has been a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, exactly. All right, Jeff, take care of yourself. Have thank a good you, day. Buddy. I appreciate it. Thanks so oh, much. Wow. Right. So what did you make of Jeff Olan then, based on that? I made several things of him, Paul. Um, yeah. I detected a little bit of a sort of saviour complex going on with him, with the uh, with the, the prostitutes who he befriends and helps. Do you know what I mean? It's like... It's <laughs> like How was that what you took away from it? It's like... No, and the way he's kept sort of going, oh, I was boning. I, was, I don't know how much I can say, but I was boning, is what he's saying the whole way through, isn't he? Like... And there's, I think we can all agree that it was the 80s, he was living it up, and he was having a jolly good time. Absolutely fine. But then when I it I don't got, think he's being a saviour, though. It did have sort of overtones of, like, you know, he's helping her out. You know, you know, you know what I mean. Anyway. I, I just find it fascinating that that's the one thing you decided to lead with, with your observations on not, this whole It's not the event. one thing. It's what I decided to lead with. Here's something else. Wasn't a very good lead. Oh, fuck you. I'll bury the, <laughs> I'll bury the lead up your ass. Right. Right. So, Come on. Um, there's also a really funny moment where he talks about having sex. There was a lot. Basically, they got again. The, you're fascinated with the nookie on the winky. Yeah, I am actually. And it does did seem that they were getting a lot of sort of you know people coming along, groupies almost Ad- admirers. Yes. Yeah, who'd come along, and then they had their breaks, didn't they, in the flat where they could. He just said it's a, it was a basically a bone pad. He I, no, he didn't say it was a bone pad. <laughs> he did. He basically he got down, you washed your nuts, and then you boned someone, and then you got back on top. Great. I was I was hoping you'd say more like I don't know, Eli. What would you what would you do this? Would you spend six months on a billboard for exposure? Absolutely not. No. 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 Because it seems like in Jeff's instance, I believe like. The prizes weren't as much as the exposure to him. No, he did. He was very ambitious. That comes across. He was very ambitious. And it was obviously something he kind of relished, didn't he? He was very positive about the actual challenge itself, and wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, I wonder how much of that is just, you know, when you tell history, you embellish it somewhat. And maybe he paints a rosier picture because, frankly, it can't all have been fun and games for six months on a billboard in no. all kinds of weather. 
also there is a point where he goes he was great uh, that the Dr Winky Lynn was great what a great he was a great person he says at one point uh, mm. but then also he intimates that he was a, a scam artist and didn't pay them did you notice that I did but that's the interesting thing it's like I I still feel that Lynn is just an interesting like like we say in the episode, like a Wizard of Oz character, where he yeah. exists behind the scenes to create this universe that he's built, but he doesn't like to engage in it much. He just likes to be the man who did it. He's like a Bond villain. Yeah, like a Bond villain. It, really it is, is strange. Wait, like when you hear the stories about the guy setting himself on fire and the group he's coming by and the, the sex show that they put on him on Sunset Strip. Brilliant. <laughs> you know, and you just think... It could only happen in L.A. on Sunset Strip in 1984 when cocaine and weed and everything was just there. Yeah. The other thing is, yeah, the whole... uh, It really... I got a real sense of how kind of freaky it would be if you got really stoned on weed and, like, it's two in the morning and then you do a load of blow on top of this (laughs) billboard and you're you're paranoid and you're already paranoid because it's got that whole aspect of uh, reality TV about it, you know, where everyone's competing against each other. And you're vulnerable the whole time. Yeah, both weed and cocaine are known to cause paranoia. So, uh, you know, must have been freaked out up there. Well, that's like I said to him, you know, someone's having sex under a massive winky light bulb as a stuntman sets himself on fire and abseils down the sign. It's like... Yeah, it's a very strange experience. It's like bloody Fury Road or something, isn't it? It's like a fucking post-apocalyptic weird billboard fireman. Yeah, and also it's like you look at the coverage it did get and like there's so much footage that must be lost to time that local news shows probably had of the people outside. I mean, he talks about, you know, stars stopping by. Yes. And he talks about... um, the phone calls from radio stations and just it's just for a minute you're like the center of attention on a big publicity campaign but ultimately i think like the message was lost i think like it, the toy became you know supplemental to this big showcase yeah that's another thing but that's like i said there there's no connection there's no link there's no path you can take from this from the competition to actually the toy like what? Do they all have a winky to help them survive up there? They had their own winky friend. It was not even anything like that. It was. It's plainly shit. Well, they were selling winkies while they were up there as well to make a bit of money. Well, did they get to keep the money, or did they have to give their money to? Fa- well, he we come don't and, know. Did he come and collect the the winky takings? You know what I mean? The only thing I can say is that it's like I can imagine it being like a big issue salesman where they get a commission <laughs> on everyone sold. Yeah. I- who knows? But he was definitely working for Lynn, selling the winky off there. And I think he understood that, though. I think yeah. I get the impression he knew exactly that he was being exploited and he was going to take as much as he could as well. Yes, but I think they were, they were just cheated out of the prize money in the end, weren't they? I mean, that whole thing about Sherry is contentious because as we'll find when we talk to Penny in a moment. She was friends with Sherry. She got to know Penny, I think, probably better than the boys yes. did, the Jeffs. Yeah, because Penny wasn't even on, the bu- on top of the billboard. Penny was just uh, a fan who phoned in, wasn't she, really? And then, as we'll find out, became a, a, a quite important part of the whole process. One other thing about Jeff is when you he was saying... There was lots of girls who came and wanted basically. You're obsessed with this part of the story. Uh, there was one point where you go, <laughs> you're, you're playing along and you say, oh, uh, I bet you got the the cream of the crop. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, I got. sometimes I got the cream and sometimes I got the crop. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm amazed that that's amusing to you more it's than it's so comes. amusing because he doesn't even know what you mean by the cream of the crop <laughs> well it's like I look at it's like Jeff sent me a bunch of stuff in the in an email with like articles to like insider soap where they're talking about here are the winners and the final people of the thing and they're going to go on to stardom and they're going to be in TVs and soaps and movie roles and stuff like that yeah. because you know he started off as an actor and then he moved into casting it feels like the the acting didn't work out for him, or maybe no. he just realised that the casting was a more secure job in the industry. Well, t- yeah, totally. Yeah, of course, it's more secure. He you can see from his sort of delight he took in the whole uh, the whole event. It's mm. almost it's almost little inkling of him being into casting because he was like he's all into the different characters and you know watching yeah. everybody. And he, and he of course he's got this thing where he's trying to develop it into a, a mini series or whatever. Well, I mean the thing is the story itself is fascinating, but you know like it's like it's L.A. so you've got to hustle. That's why it's gonna why it would be a great little mini series because it's these vectors of all of these things that were going to be huge, like the whole reality TV and the whole all of yeah. that stuff, you know, and the drugs. And the strip, it's just so, it is quite cinematic as an idea, isn't it? Yeah. But also, you've got to remember, there's all the lives that we just haven't touched on at all. Like he said, there was a boxer up there and a writer. Yeah. The writer choked on a chicken sandwich and then had to go. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, it's, there's almost, I think I say it in the interview, like there's a Willy Wonka-esque quality where they're all dropping off one by one. But apparently most of them left within the first month. Uh, just strange that the last three guys were all called Jeff. Yeah. And I can understand that them being quote-unquote betrayed by sherry because you can almost you can see sherry as the the um the serpent in the uh in the garden of eden and them as the three wise men the three wise jeffs if you will and uh and winky 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 is the jesus winky is the 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 child right i'm gonna i'm gonna call it that is the shittest analogy you could have made no it's not three jeffs the I'm three wise it. Jeffs. You're calling nothing. So anyway, Jeff, <laughs> thank you very much, Jeff, for talking to us. Uh, he's got a load of stuff he sent me. So if you want to know more, go to our website or there'll be links to his website where you can just check out all the articles and news clippings he's got. And Paul, do you, Paul, you do have a, uh, a photograph of his giant winky, which he recovered from the, the billboard. Yes, I do. I have a picture of Jeff's giant Winky. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't discovered by now, Winky is an easy source of humour when it comes to just saying Winky. So we are going to ride on that till the end of the episode. Yes, on that note, Paul, did you did you say that Dr. Winky had a company called Winky Inc.? Yeah. That would be, that could be um, a euphemism. Yes, for... it could. <laughs> for, yeah. For Spoff. I'm right. right, good. Right, <laughs> moving on. So Winky on next, I've squeezed out some Winky Ink and write a message on your your butt. <laughs> I do hate you sometimes. Oh, come so, on, we're going on to the next interview now, and this is Penny who reached out to me initially with the "I was the fruit bitch" comment. So we got talking on eBay, and we you know knocked it back and forth. On and eBay, was... you got talking on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> Email. <laughs> weird an ebay romance selling each other little trinkets or something <laughs> i'm tired it's a long story so oh, i right. got speaking to penny and she was a bit guarded because of the content and the tone of our show but 
once I convinced her to chat, I think I had a really fascinating chat with her. Now, in both mm. cases with Jeff and with Penny, the conversations were much, much longer. And I think I'm gonna get I'm gonna give those out to the Patreon people. Because especially in Penny's case, there are a lot of tangents and a lot of kind of personal bits I've kind of lopped out just to focus on the story. Yeah, but they are quite fascinating in their own way, some of those tangents. Really fascinating. Penny has led I mean Penny and Jeff have both led really interesting lives. And it was a shame to kind of focus just on the story, but I wanted to. So reach yes. out to Penny. Now, Penny, in the story, was the lady who helped out initially with uh, Dr. Winky to kind of maintain the billboard. She kind of invited herself into the story, as we'll find out. And then she fell in love with Jeff Stewart, and then they got married, and the big publicity was the marriage. Which took place on top of the billboard. That whole thing was fascinating, again, because it leans back on the Keith Haring thing. One of the most fascinating things I find about Lawrence Lynn is that he kind of always seems to ask Keith Haring to do something, and Keith Haring does it. What did he have on Haring, I wonder? I don't think he had anything on Haring. I just think Haring possibly didn't like Lawrence Lynn that much, but maybe he benefited in other ways in terms of the, the scene and the nightlife. He also did the invite to the wedding we're going to talk about in this segment. So Keith Haring has dipped in and out. And even now, we spoke about it before, a print of that invitation of the winky figure dancing on the wedding cake goes for about a grand online. Wow. And it's just fascinating that that is a part of the story, the the Keith Haring angle, you know, who's a really iconic artist. You know, it's like yes. you can't mistake his work for anything else. And, there and are, of that a, era, of that era as well. And there's a great documentary, I think, about his life on YouTube that you can check out. It, it's fascinating and, and tragic. And the fact that it's even tangentially involved with this daft toy is fascinating to me. Hmm. So without, without any further ado then, let's hear from Penny. It's going to hear from Penny. And as I say, we chopped a lot out to get it down, but it's about another 30 odd minutes or so. Enjoy more fascinating opinions. We'll join you right at the end of this segment. Never really took off. A fascinating thing. We did get free swatch watches, but we never got a winky watch unless Lynn got one. He was like always hoarding shit, you know, like we were getting from like sponsors and things like that. So well, like, well, if okay, there was, if there was a prototype, he probably kept it. Okay, so I tell you what, because this is automatically recording. What I'll do is, I'll just start by asking you how you got involved. Like, what was your how? How did you get to LA, and how did you get involved? And then I'll just let you talk. Well, the LA Times article has a lot of factual mistakes but basically you know was, uh, i had a bad relationship and a stalker situation i moved from san diego back to hollywood where i had grown up okay in the hollywood hills on a street called holly drive and some people they came of age while i was gone they were like young 20 well actually i was only 21 so what am i talking about hmm. they might have been 18 or 19 but they were kids when i had moved away and they wanted to ride around like go to michael jackson's house yeah. Like they go, we're going to go over to MJ's in Encino. And I thought it was a nightclub. That's kind of thing. <laughs> it was Michael Jackson's house. And there's like all these people. And I'm like, this shit's not cool. Yeah. I want to go back to Hollywood. So we're driving around Hollywood cruising. You know what I'm saying? Like cruising America thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we're going down the strip. And uh, they have the famous iconic billboards in Chateau Marmont. And as we're passing the famous cowboy Marlboro, we see all, all these lights and stuff yeah. up ahead, which is next to the iconic Playboy Club. Uh, Sweetser Ave is where Playboy Club sets. The yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't they used to have a store there on the corner? Eventually, well, it was a it's a huge office building, and the penthouse was Playboy, and that's where they used to shoot the old TV show back in right. the day. Right. Okay. Okay. You remember that? Yeah, well, was, I vaguely know of it. Yeah. Anyway, that's where they used to shoot it. Yeah. So there's a big billboard there, and Gannett Advertising—they're the ones who rent the billboards out. And I'm like, what the hell? There's the big 
I can't even remember. I have pictures. There was a picture of a Winky. I don't think it blinked, though, the red and green. Okay. And there was people on the billboard. And this was, uh, I like to say, Christmas time. Yeah, it started just before Christmas in 84. Right, right. Well, when I came back, I came back to Hollywood, like, in uh, January. Yeah, because 1984 was horrible. 1985, I went to see the Steelers and the Raiders. Steelers lost. Right. And right after that, that was January. Yeah. I moved back. So, like, end of January, beginning of February. So, we were driving around at that period of time. Hmm. Okay. In the middle, like, the end of January. And we're like, what the hell's going on? And I'm like, the kids didn't know anything about these teenage boys that I was with. Yeah. So, I'm like, that's crazy. But now that I moved home, I needed a job. So, right, I got a job right away because I have connections in Beverly Hills CPA firms. Right. So, I'm a receptionist at this swanky Beverly Hills CPA firm, all celebrities, all multimillionaires and things like that. And I have to drive past the billboard every day mm. with my roommate, who's from Pennsylvania also, who also knows Keith Herring or knew Keith Herring family. Right. We're all from little towns right here. So she's like, what is that? I said, I don't know. It's a bunch of people up there. I guess it's some kind of contest. So there was a big number and I called the number. And you're right. Uh, there was the four people that I got to know really well at the end. Right. But I think time there might have been eight or nine people up there okay so we had a one out of nine shot that jeff stewart would answer the phone everybody calls him stewie i call him jeff or stew right but so he answers the phone and right away i could tell he's from the east coast on <laughs> long island and i'm from pennsylvania okay so we're chatting I'm going, well, this is crazy and he's telling me about the food they have up there and you know they're getting ribs and free meat and delivery from around that hills west hollywood area i'm like well would you like some fresh fruit yeah so, and I did. <laughs> I brought him some fruit. And we're just hanging out. He was smitten, like, right away. You could tell. Okay. He was blushing. He was, like, pacing around. And then Jeff Winky, he was the stud up there. Gorgeous. He's a stuntman. Yeah, he was and a stuntman. Yeah, I, I heard he was doing some crazy stuff from time to time I, just to kind of pass the time. On, I set him on fire. You on set him on fire. <laughs> on the billboard. Yeah. He taught me how to do it. He wow. also... I'm afraid of heights. He had me rappelling off the billboard and swinging around on, or above Sunset Boulevard on yeah. a, whatever, you know, contraption. <laughs> it, was, yeah, it was crazy up there. We had crazy times. But at any rate, so, and Jeff Olin, who you talked to. Yeah. Anyway, um, I love him too. Mm. I do. But we're more like a brother and sister. And he was the only actor. That's what they got wrong. Sherry okay. was a model. Jeff Winky was a stuntman. Now, my husband-to-be, he had uh, owned a deli in New York. Um, he grew up in Long Island. Right. His life was nothing about Hollywood or acting or modeling or anything like that. Okay. Okay. So that's a mistake. That's a misnomer now. People just wanted to win the prizes. So, yeah, yeah. you did have a couple actors. Yeah, you did have a model. Yeah, you did have people that are attention-seeking Hunts. <laughs> anyway, so get to the point of the story. So yeah. anyway, I, I really had no expectation of going back other than he was so adorable. And his hair had been growing out, so it was kind of curly. Okay. And, uh, and he's hilarious. Oh, my God, he's so funny. So anyway, I wasn't going to go back. But, you know, people got curious. Like Todd Bridges, <laughs> he came by once. Okay. And, but he actually had, actually had been arrested. Todd Bridges was a child actor in a show called different strokes that's right yeah yeah and he had had a lot of problems remember this is the middle 80s right 85 right. and so i have a picture of a cop car but you can't see him because <laughs> this is the 126 film yeah he had been arrested for some shenanigans <laughs> barrymore came by for like a um it was part of a scavenger hunt right it was like a little tiny girl at the time 
Because was, was there other activities going on throughout the period they were up well, there to kind of keep okay, the interest so, going? Yeah, so I got, so people were like, you know what's going on up there? And I would tell them, so I would go with other people. Okay. So within a few weeks, Jeff was like so smitten he wanted to get married. And he's like, wow. And it had nothing to do with the billboard. So, and I mean, I'm not going to sit here and try to like, I was like, I didn't understand how, what an attractive female I was. Right. <laughs> okay, I was 21. I had a bad relationship. I had yeah. people stalking me. I'm a very tomboy type of girl. I don't wear makeup. And I didn't really get it. But I'm like, yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> I'm the one who said why not to the LA Times. Jeff said about the rabbi. Oh, it right. Was right below, it was right below the guy that he said, Hail Satan. The, uh, yeah. That guy, oh, the killer. Brain's the night blank. Yeah, the, the Night Stalker. Yeah, yeah, right below Rick was, Rodriguez. Yeah, that, yeah, so the quotes of the year was Night Stalker saying, Hail Satan. <laughs> and Jeff Stewart saying, I must have called every rabbi in L.A. before I got one to agree to do it. Because we had a hoopah, and we broke the glass and everything. Yeah. Yeah, so I said, yeah, but I didn't really think about it at the time, and we were smoking weed. Right. We, we had a little joke. and, and um, So you're all just wrapped up in the moment, trying to just like, like yeah, celebrate it and just have fun. 21, dude, 21. Exactly. They were like, Jeff was 25. I think Oli was uh, 23, maybe. I don't remember. Winky, probably. See, we all had nicknames because of three Jeffs. Yeah, and I, I've, that was the biggest surprise to me when I was like, no, which Jeff is this t right now? And I was trying to keep a timeline in my head. Winky, Oli, Stewie. That's it. <laughs> So, so Jeff Olin was the only aspiring actor who happened to be in Nightmare on Elm Street. He's one of the cops that come breaking through the door at the very end of the movie. Oh, really? It with the freaking hat. All you, if you know that nose, you know yeah. it's him. You know what? The more I hear this story, the more I like the fact that it kind of splinters out into all these little pots of pop culture all over the place. It's really but adorable. What you, know, what you guys really didn't get about it is that we were all friends after that. Well, that's—I mean—that's the thing. That's what I want to get to at some point. It's like because for me, the biggest mysteries now are just who was Lawrence Lim and and oh, what brought him to make this thing. He was jerk. Grace Jones slapped the shit out of him at a party <laughs> you know, at, at, at his nightclub. He took, he took her little boy, Dolph Lundgren, and Grace Jones had a little boy. Yeah, and um, he's taking me all over because I wasn't on the billboard. Okay, went to this party and. I didn't even get to see the actual fight, but everybody was like, oh my God. He took her little boy who, who could only been like a toddler at the time. Yeah. He took him away from where she was at. Right. It was like, it wasn't a real party party. It was some kind of promotional thing. You know what I mean? Okay. But she obviously didn't like the idea of him just walking oh, off with her kid. honey. You know, she's like Jamaican or Haitian and she slapped the shit out of him. Yeah, she is like, fierce. Oh my God. But he had like these like, old um like vintage mercedes benz uh limousines that yeah. you drive around in because what i can yeah, piece together true. about him is that he comes from like a rich chinese family yeah, his mother exactly. was in in it, we married a famous singer that i escaped the name of right now but yeah. at that time he was basically i think living off her money and doing little projects well like i didn't know that Club. later yeah ran around wearing these like weird glasses and like it was the 80s the ugliest fashion mm -hmm, yeah <laughs> uh, his assistant was this chick named jennifer jones maybe weighed 70 pounds yes and, um she was always like it's not gonna be good it's not good it's not good like these people are full of shit yeah she was wasn't she in charge of publicity or press or something oh whatever yeah i don't know it's like her name pops up in one or two of the articles i've seen online Listen, i don't know about lawrence's uh educational background or yeah. how I came up with Winky. 
I mean, they were intoxicated. I'm not going to sit here and say I know what they were intoxicated on. Yeah. But it was the, let's just say it was the 80s. And people yeah. get crazy ideals and they talk about it really fast and tell you all these little details. <laughs> they convinced me on one of these tangents to make a, take a pair of uh, Chuckies, which is an all-star Converse sneaker. Okay. The canvas sneaker and cover it in Winkies. And Jennifer said she was going to help me, but she didn't. It was me and Sherry. We covered him in Winkies. And we sent him to David Letterman. We never heard a peep, and he never wore them, as oh. far as I know. We thought oh, he would that's wear them. Fascinating, the though. That is a big... I don't think David Letterman was into that kind of crass commercialism promotion. You know, what it I mean? probably came across as really quite rude. And I, you know what? It's almost unsolicited. <laughs> yeah, because it all seemed like at the end of the day, it was like. For, for everyone's involvement, it did seem like a vanity project for Dr. Winky because, like, yeah. wasn't he painted on the billboard was surrounded by women? I think he was. Yeah. But there was a poster. In fact, I was just – somebody put a picture of me on Facebook for my birthday, and I'm wearing this crazy wig and crown of Winkies, which I, people on Twitter apparently would kill themselves to get all the Winkies. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and there was, like, all these models holding him. It, it, he's the biggest enigma in all this, from, like, certainly from our point of view, in that – you know, we're trying to trace why he did it, who designed it, who he well, got, he how he got me made. To an empty mansion once in Beverly Hills. Yeah. Which was like weird. It was this mansion like right off of a uh, Santa Monica Boulevard. There's a lot okay. of nice, there's a nice park there. I used to see Fred Astaire every morning walking through that park. He would always wave. He was a nice man. If you had the camera, I could show you the tube. Like I came up with the wedding invitations. Yes, he did know Keith Haring as a business. Did you see my um, email to you? Yes. Okay. So, like, it was a business thing. He painted a mural. I don't think Keith, he liked him. I, I think because he was, like, famous, like Donald Trump for not paying people. See, I used to hang out in San Francisco in the 80s also. Yeah. Okay. And it completely different scene from L.A. and from mm. New York. Because, yeah. like, you used to go to New York because Jeff was from New York. And I used to go to New York because I grew up next door. You know, tri-state areas, Pennsylvania, yeah. New Jersey, New York. Yeah, so, but- they're completely different scenes. New York was – that's why Keith went from – Kurtztown, okay, he was actually born in Reading. I think that's how my mom met his mom, because we used to go down there to the Chef Boyardee plant and get big-ass Kansas ravioli and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but everybody wanted to leave our little towns. And to me, New York was just full of rats and trash. I love the scene. Yeah, but cool. like, No way I'm going to go to L.A. He's like, no way he's going to go to Pennsylvania. He's going to go to New York. You know, and also, you know, being gay in our little area, being gay, being interracial, being anything different than white redneck with a gun rack in your truck. Yeah. You're, you're going to get bullied and picked on and shit. No, yeah. he was always an artist. He was always different. So he's going where he wants to be accepted and he's being accepted in places which is outside the norm. Yeah. I mean, I wish I had went to New York because then I would have met um, Andy Warhol. Well, and yeah, Scott, you know, that, that's got. Oh my God, are you killing me? That would have been great. <laughs> and that, that's the thing at this time. The reason why this story is so interesting to me is that it is like a very strange moment in like, you know, pop culture in the 80s where you've got all this conflation of like styles and merchandise and branding and then artwork and nightclubs. And yeah, it's, like, it's crazy. Um, the Swatch guy, who's an Italian, I can't think of his name now. Yeah. I should know that, right? Because Swatch was everything. It's huge. I, I had, yeah. They gave me a free swatch watch. Everyone was so jealous. <laughs> it, was <just laughs> watch. it wasn't a winky swatch. No. Um, I know wedding rings had winkies on them. And Jeff. Really? Was, yeah. I gave my ring to Jeff. I never would wear it. Okay. But, uh, and Seiko was a robot that was yes. in the last Rocky movie. Before yeah. 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 And a famous rich billionaire guy. He's the heir of the Scott tissue or something like that. Maybe okay. that was 
that could have been a lie. I don't know. But he was very mysterious. He, he controlled Seiko. And my friend, best friend who was supposed to give me away that day had to have his artery stripped. So Seiko <laughs> ended up giving me away. And my, my mother, <laughs> who was born in 1922, yeah. was a nightclub singer. We flew her out, and she was standing on Seiko and dancing around with him. And we didn't get the negatives because Lawrence never paid the photographer. See, that's, it, that, I feel like a lot of really good stuff is lost because of his negligence, you know. It's like he was burning everything behind her when it like didn't I work. Like I said, there was intoxication issues. Yeah. There was, um, maybe he was just too smart for his own good. Okay. What, what, I mean, what was he like in terms of his personality? Was he... Was he kind of all talk or, or I yeah, don't know? Yeah, he, he was a bullshit artist. He was really brief. I mean, listen, I wasn't raised with money, but yeah. I was around a lot of people of real wealth, not new money, like, you know, where it was generational. Hmm. And he had that air about him. Like, he didn't care if they got fed. He just thought they got fed because people get fed, don't they? You know, <laughs> doesn't the servant bring you your dinner? So did, did, were you part of a crew then or a team that looked after no, them? or was, I was it just not until, until he couldn't. He didn't want to pay anybody to babysit the, last, the final four. So they put me in charge when they would go to New York or San Francisco. Oh, right. So you were kind of left holding the baby, so to speak, like when... Basically, yeah, because now I'm involved, I'm engaged, and they're like, we're going to pay for everything. We're going to do everything. Right. And it, but I had to put my foot down about a lot of stuff. Okay. So like he's basically saying, we're doing you a favor with me giving you and X, Y, and Z. I, uh, I brought up Keith Haring doing the wedding invitations, but I wanted just the fucking primitive guys and girls dancing. Yeah. He's the one to put the winky heads on it. <laughs> of course he did. He wanted it to be branding, didn't he? He wanted it everywhere. Well, you've seen the posters, so like, I really yeah. don't want to unwrap mine because um, you can see it's getting aged. Okay. And um, what we did is we sent them out in red tubes and we filled them with red, green, and gold rice to mess with everybody. And you're not going to believe this. Cool. I have a huge family and I knew they wouldn't come, but yeah. I sent everybody one. And it came with the invitation to the reception also, the smaller version. Yeah. And they threw them all away. Whoa. I just talked to a girl in LA. I'm like, don't you still have yours? Like, no, I don't know what happened to it. That's correct. I mean, I, mean I actually don't even have one of my own. I have my sister Jerry's that she never opened it. Right. She heard because people had opened it and told her about the rice and she's a neat freak. She lost her mind. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So, so that's the other thing as well is because this was just kind of, I don't know, I don't know what to say. It's like, cause it was six months of everyone's life. The fact that it kind of, kind of just disappeared immediately is what kind of makes the story interesting because it's LA. Well, it's LA and this is like the next best thing is coming along the corner. At that time, Good Morning America interviewed us. Yeah. Uh, People came from Japan and Germany. I've never seen any of these things. My only footage I had, somebody taped over it on the old, you know, videotape VCR. Uh, um, I never saw the Good Morning America interview. Well, I did. I, that's a lie. I think I saw it there in the that morning because, like, they came at like five, eight, four a.m. or three a.m. to get us because yeah, it's filmed in New York. And um, Paul Hartman was pissed to interview us, and they they put it off on Joan London. She was the new girl, right? At the time. And she was she was wonderful. <laughs> she was so bubbly and, and lovely. And she's like, so what does your family think? I'm like, well, they don't know. Or Jeff's might have said they don't know. I was like, they do now. Because everybody yeah. was Morning America back then. So how long was it between you meeting him and you get and, and then getting married? Was it a few months or a I'd few weeks? I have to look at, like, I used to journal. But it was definitely in January that I met him. And then the proposal thing, which I didn't get an engagement ring. And I'm not a jewelry person. He did buy me one later on for my birthday. Okay. But um, so um, and it was Valentine's Day, and I was there because I brought 
I brought cookies for my entire office in Beverly Hills. <laughs> so, and I had more cookies and I took them over to the billboard. And I think at this point there was only the four of them left. Right. When I first saw it, there might've been eight or nine people there. I saw it at, right after Christmas, right before New Year's. You know, I, I love Hollywood. Yeah. Not because I wanted to be an actor or dancer or singer or model. People wanted me to model. People wanted me to do all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah. I was more introverted. I like writing. I mean, I'm extroverted, but I'm not. I see what you mean. I see what you mean. So you're expressive, but it's kind of, you don't like to show off. And Jeff is the same way. And that's like, people thought it was scammy or shammy or whatever they want to call it. Yeah. It was a real true connection. Right. Okay. And if I had been a little older and more mature, because every they were making bets on how long the relationship will last, my friends and other people. Really? So, so when it was wrapping up then, the whole experience, and you've met okay. all these celebrities because people were stopping by, uh, what was happening towards the end of, because I know they said they came up with an agreement with the four of them. It devolved into a lot of disgruntled and dissatisfaction. And Sherry Davis didn't speak for four months. She took a vow. Really? Um, I was like, I was letting them do whatever they wanted to do because I thought it was all a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. Um, people weren't getting paid. So it was like the wheels were coming off it towards the end. Well, everything did. The wedding did come off. Okay. And yeah. uh, the night at the, we were at the La Madrian. Okay. That famous, the red, yellow, and we had the reception there. And there were a lot of people there. I don't remember everybody because I started drinking in the morning in the limo. <laughs> Pasadena. I was at my sister's house in Pasadena with my mom and family members. And so, uh -huh. you know, push button limo, push button bar. Yeah. <laughs> it was all morning. And I said my vows in perfect Yiddish, uh, Hebrew. <laughs> but so we're at the La Madrigan. Yeah. Now the party's over and everybody had a grand time, truthfully. Right. It really went well. There's paparazzi everywhere. I don't know how celebrities deal with that shit. I couldn't see anything. Wow. When I walked down Sunset Boulevard with the robot, Seiko. <laughs> we had to walk up the steps to the billboard. We had a great time. We had the wedding. Everybody got changed. We went to a reception. And that night, just to stick it to Lawrence, I ordered, uh, I think it was three or four jabooms of champagne. Wow. <laughs> Why room, not? Baby. Yeah, because I knew it was a joke. Yeah. Oh, I tell you what, actually, because there's one question that I think you asked, and I wanted to ask it as well, is that you've not been able to track down Sherry Davis. And I know. One, of the, one of the questions I have, sorry, is <laughs> sorry. It's just um, Jeff, Olin suggested the idea that she might have been a ringer and was promised to win. And then that's why she yeah, agreed to do the New York one. That conspiracy. I mean, that's the only conspiracy theory I know of that he ever floated. No, yeah. that's not true. Sherry and I were very close. Okay. It's just because we don't know, I, I don't know too much about it. And it's interesting that she went to do it in New York for a little time afterwards. I don't know what happened. Yeah. The, the picture but, you yeah, see Sherry is- Sherry just she... disappeared after- after the wedding, okay? Yeah. After the booms of champagne, we all sat up in the hotel. We ordered pizza. We got twisted. And um, all the Winkies stayed up in our honeymoon suite with us. God almighty. Everybody left. Yeah. And Sherry did disappear. And wow. it was just me and the Jeffs. And the two Winkies and Oli got an apartment. And me and Jeff moved into a cottage um, right next to Tower Records in Spago. Oh, cool. That's a lovely yeah, site. And, yeah. So, you know, I just kept on living my Hollywood life. Yeah. You know, I loved Hollywood because I love the movies and I love scripts. And, I, you know, and Jeff, he went back into the food industry. Okay. He worked for years at the University of Judaism, managing their um, cafeteria. And so he went back to that. And then just like, I, I imagine once everything calmed down, it just all kind of just faded away. 
Well, the guys, they, they sought legal action. They were furious. Because mm. he never he never gave up the money, the trip to Hawaii, the car, whatever that was promised. The, the screen so test I, I and things like Sherry, that. See, I'm black, Sherry's black, and yeah. um, Jennifer Jones, who I never liked, is black. Okay. She's one of those people that we call an Oreo, black on the outside, white on the inside. Right. I never trusted that chick. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know what was going on behind my back with those two girls. Right. But I know what was going on in my mind and how you hear me, how you see me, is yeah. how I am. I, I don't know about motivations and playing games. And I felt bad for the Jeffs because they did do six months up there. And they'd all agreed, hadn't they, to come down at once, and then she turned around and went back up? No, she did not go back up. Oh, I, the story goes is that she went back up there just to kind no, of... No, she might have went back up to get her stuff. I don't know. She, like I said, she didn't talk for four months. Yeah, it's, that's the other strange thing. She did not speak to me. We wrote notes and hand gestures. And but she never explained why she went silent. I kept trying to get because of the guys. Oh, okay. It was just all a bit too much for her. Sherry was insanely gorgeous in the color of a Hershey bar. The woman was just perfection. Right. I don't know what went on before I met them mm. because I, I, did they start with like 16 or something? 13 or something? I, I think 12, I think, or something. And then they got rid of a few quite quickly. And then by the time I think they got into the new year, it was down to like six. I don't six. know how many women were up there, you know. Um, yeah. Jeff Winky, I don't think he had a, any kind of malice in his body at all, like being no. raped or anything like that. I mean, but I can imagine if you're up there for six months, at the end of the day, it's like that patience begins to wear thin. I forget what triggered her not speaking. It just seems like it's strange that if she had that bad a time, why you, she'd want to go and do it again in New York for a few weeks. I forgot about that. See, it's amazing what you forget, you know. Yeah. And then, um, like Jeff Olin and Jeff, well, Jeff Winky ended up. Because we used to go see Jeff Winkie's shows, all of us, together. Okay. And he, he, his name was Justin Case. <laughs> Get it? <laughs> what, what kind of show did he do? Um, you know, you go to those big monster truck rallies. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he would like be the, like, the entertainment, jumping over stuff. And we watched him get so devastatedly injured once. Oh, so like an and Evil Knievel actually, thing? Like, I actually punched this white guy in the audience because they're like, yeah, he's not even bleeding. Wow. And the Jeffs try to stop me. Stewie and Oli try to stop me. And I just attacked this guy because I'm in like shock. Our friend watched his body contort. It was horrible, but he was fine. He's like, yeah, I'm good. We go to the hospital. He's like, yeah, I'm good. So he's taking a body cast. I'm fine. I'm fine. So he was doing the whole evil Knievel thing then at that time. Yes. He wanted to be a, he wanted to be a Hollywood stuntman. Wow. And so Jeff was working um, in um, television production, doing commercials. He did like a lot of fame. He did a famous sprint commercial where the lady gets pulled back into her cubicle. They're going through the office of Sprint. It was a phone company. It's yes. Yeah. And the little chubby lady is talking. They're all talking to the employees. And this lady, she like ducks out of her cubicle and then she gets pulled back in like magic. Yeah. That was my husband. My husband was there. <laughs> okay. They did Dick Clark. Uh, they did Mutual of Omaha. Yeah, you know, we see yeah. a lot of, and I have a lot of, I had a lot of the props. I don't know what I have left now, but. I mean, you know, he did a lot of work. So when, when you look back on it now, is it like, you know, when they say the past is a different country. Do you see it as this wild moment in your life? Do you recognize it? Oh, I look at it like if it had been filmed, it would have been the first reality show. Well, yeah, it would have been. You're right. It was, there was so much of that, that kind of big brother thing. You got to know about the Hollywood strip, right? I mean, Sunset Strip. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the Seven Vale Strip Club. Um, is it Motley Crue or was it Poison? Who did the girls, girls, girls video? Uh, that's Motley Crue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I met all of them because they were at the strip club, the seven bills. <laughs> and yeah. oh, the worst story of all is like, because I didn't have a car, but I used to go to my roommate when I was like, we would drive together to the CPA that we work for. Yeah. And so I would take the bus down to visit them. And at Hollywood and Vine was a great big Mercedes fan um, building, right? And I yeah. would catch the bus there. But see, Santa Monica is where the boys turn tracks. Sunset's where the girls turn tracks. Right. So I'm down there looking, you know, all fresh face and miniskirt and, and sneakers, Reeboks, you know, they were the yeah. thing. And I got hit on so many times who thought I was a prostitute. <laughs> catching the bus to go down to the, to the west side of Sunset. Because I lived in the Hollywood Hills, which is off of uh, Coanga and Vine and Ivar, old Hollywood. Yeah. The old USO was on Ivar. Coanga is where that one club is where we ran into Prince. His old, like, I forget the name of that club. Anyway, but it was crazy. <laughs> like, there were these guys that were dwarfs that were rich uh, real estate developers. They were on a, a lot of TV shows back in the 80s. Okay. They were twins. Okay. They were twin dwarfs that were rich real estate developers. That, that is a sentence I'd never and thought I'd hear before. one of them tried to pick me up as a prostitute at the what? Mercedes-Benz building on Sunset as I was taking the bus down to see Jeff. Do you see that in many respects? It's is a mad thought. It's a mad thought. It's like it if you wrote that in a script, it would be told to be crazy. ridiculous. I'm like, I'm like, how are you even driving? He had this specially equipped van. This is that, this, it's shameless though. It is shameless because it's like I, I briefly lived in uh, LA for a while in, oh, in, in, in like 2000. So, well, yeah, I got to know the area and I got to know some parts of it, you know, quite well. But there was that sense of that whole part of Hollywood, anything could happen, you know, well, depending on what street you went about on. Hollywood, see, because nobody's from there. No. There's, a, there's a weird dichotomy. There's a lot of heart and good, decent people there. And then on the other side, like you say, everything is for sale. Like I did not look like a prostitute. I have a very athletic body. I had very small breasts. I wasn't exposing skin. I didn't yeah. wear wild makeup. I was just probably wearing shorts or a jean miniskirt and, and sneakers and a t-shirt. A rich old white guy in a silver shadow. Um, I forget the name of the streets now because it's been so long, but a couple blocks before Sweetster, I was walking. Yeah. And this rich old man, he looked like the Crypt Keeper with glasses and the silver shadow Rolls Royce. I love cars. I'm like, wow, look at this car. And like I said, I don't wear makeup and I keep my hair cut like a boy. It's long now, but back then, always short. Okay. He offered me $5,000 to go home with Abe. Whoa. And I'm like, seriously, dude? <laughs> 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 And this old dude thinks, you know, he, maybe he didn't think I was a prostitute. Maybe he thought, oh, $5,000 and she'll come with me. Yeah, maybe. You know because yeah. that's the ugly side of Hollywood. And the Harvey Wine scene is the ugly side of Hollywood. Well, but yeah. very deep-seated heart. And see, another thing is people come from all over the world to become famous in Hollywood. All these beautiful people. And they chewed up and spat out. Only 1% become famous, so the other 99% breed. Yeah. So you have those gorgeous, you were there, you have the most gorgeous people. Tell me, are they beautiful in Hollywood? Yeah, yeah. they can, they can be. Store clerk, Seven Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> the guy at the video store, which doesn't exist anymore. Be well, you know, Quentin Tarantino worked at the video store. You know? Everyone who worked at Tower Records could have been in a nineties indie movie. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So when so when I got when you got in touch with me and I'm, we started the conversation, is it weird talking about it now? Did you think it was like just a relic? Because I'm surprised no. the story's not been told no, more often. We were friends. We were friends for so long. And then the Keithy connection, and okay, so is it weird talking about it? No, because I regret divorcing my husband. Okay. I had to get out and get away at yeah. the time. 
I mean, we were married for two and a half years, and like we beat everybody's stupid bed. <laughs> I truly adore him and hmm. love him to this day. And um, I've been married twice since then. So anyway, it's like, and I was talking to some friends, and they bring up, does it bother you about the winky thing, or do you think it was a flash in the pan, what have you? Yeah. Like, no, because the winky thing is one thing. Our relationship as friends, being married is another. Yeah. And I regret leaving my husband. He didn't want the divorce. I wanted the divorce. I wanted to be free to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. Okay. And he wasn't into the stuff, but he liked to go shopping and he liked at stores. He liked fashion. He liked food. Um, he was just a really fun, funny person. He loved our cats. He loved our <laughs> old funky Oldsmobile station wagon. He was heartbroken when I took it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Jeff was a great guy. My whole family adored him, except for one sister who's a bitch. <laughs> she told Jeff's mother on our wedding day that yeah. her son was not attractive enough to marry me. Nice. Just what you want to hear. Excellent what a stuff. Yeah. Okay. It's, you guys say kind all the time. If we say it over here, we mean it. Everybody else loved Jeff. Everybody else loved Jeff. All my friends adored him. Like I said, they remained friends until some of them passed away. Yeah. And so that's all the way up into the young 2000s. Well, I mean, from my point of view, it's just, I just want to say thank you for reaching out and, help, and helping us tell this story. Because I was kind of being a bitch when I reached out, tell the truth. But after being angry with you guys, I did, I mean, I listened to, because it's a long um, episode. Yeah. I can see that you have this genuine affection. And I'm like, oh, you haven't been around English people in a while. You forget how they are. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know how Dr. Winky Lawrence, I don't know how he got the idea I mean, because pole sitting has been a thing in our country for a long time. Yeah, flagpole sitting was a whole thing in the world. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I, I, see, he was always intoxicated. That's in like imaginary air quotes. Intoxicated and not alcohol. Yeah. I don't know how he got the idea. And so it was supposed to be this interactive friend, but all he did was blink red and green. Yeah. Now, sometimes, okay, so you could press the button on the back of him and make him only red. Or making only green. You notice if you press the little buttons on the back of the chip? Yeah, it alternates the, the, the flashing yeah, lights. Yeah, I think it has three settings, correct? Yeah. So like I it, love it, you guys call it a badge. Uh, yeah, it's a pin, but yeah, it's just like, for no, me, it's a lovely no, badge. No, Lord, no, 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 it was not a pin. It was your interactive friend. It was jewelry. It that was, was Lawrence's line. He was so <laughs> full of shit. <Yeah. laughs> that was him. He was like. Uh, you know, I don't know how he truly was in his real life, but you know, I'm kind of glad I did it. I mean, I don't regret it at all. I regret what the boys went through. I shouldn't say boys, but everybody, we were really young. Nobody yeah, was. Yeah, of course. But I do feel bad for what they put into that effort. And they were treated very shabbily. But mm. it hadn't been for me, truthfully. I mean, they wouldn't have. And they kind of went shell shocked too. And I took them, like, I took them off the billboard. Yeah. to a Mayfair market, and he was, like, having PTSD. He couldn't stand to be around the people. It was Whoa. weird. Yeah, so they had it bad. I mean, yeah, they got a place to shit. It was a lovely little apartment on Sweetser down below the billboard. Mm. And we had a guard for a while. I think they stopped paying the guard service, too. They also stopped paying the billboard people. To oh, have them Lord, up there, didn't they? They stopped paying the billboard. They stopped paying the <laughs> apartment. They it's, were treated really badly, and they had these, like, you know, all, like, Jeff Olin really thought that he was going to be that he was going I think was there something about being an actor? There was a screen, screen test? test and a potential yeah, winky yeah, movie. Right? <laughs> yeah, and I guess to be fair, at the end of all of that, you'd at least want something, you know, rather than memories. Well, they got to be good friends. Like I said, Winky and Oli, they were roommates for years. Okay. And Jeff and I were together for two and a half years, and we were still friends for about 
I wouldn't call it. I don't know. He just long he enough. Not, I don't know. I mean, I love Jeff to this day. I stand by my decision at the time. Mm. I regret that we can't be friends. And I'm glad that Jeff, Oli and I can still be friends. I mean, it's, you know, I lived in, I moved home to Pennsylvania. I had a son and then I moved to Ohio after the election in yeah. 2016. I mm. had to get, I mean. Okay. So you've kind of gone to where you feel safer, so to speak. Well, it's more metropolitan. Yeah. From my point of view, it's like there's a lot of gaps and a lot of things I just wanted to know. And between the three of you, I've got a really good story. The only real mystery is Lawrence. And I don't think that's going to happen. Like, what did I say in the beginning of this interview? Lawrence Lynn, man, a mystery. He was full of shit, okay? Yeah. I mean, he was promising things to people behind our backs. Like I said, I got to meet the Swatch, the guy that designed the Swatch thing. Yeah. I think was a clothing designer to start with. I got to meet Vita Al Sassoon. I got to meet Grace Jones and Dolph Lundgren. No, but the thing, that's, that's the thing, I think. I think it's like, it's that era, that age, and it's not until you get age and wisdom that you look back and go, ah... And young people being promised, you know, they had stars in their eyes and what we're going to, or like they wanted the money yeah. in the car and the trip. And, and like, I was always on the outside looking in and I always knew it was bullshit that this guy was not doing what he, because I, I knew about the apartment manager. I knew because I talked to the people that lived in the apartment. Mm. Um, just like I said, when you're around people of real wealth, yeah, you can see the cracks in the foundation. And there were very, there were a ton of cracks. Free, everything's sponsored. I do believe he owed Keith Herring money at the end. He yeah. kept the original block that are um, that was printed that printed our invitations, mm. which is so, kind of crappy since they were made for us. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's like he's he's hoovering up all that, all yeah. those memories, all that nostalgia, all that you know, merch. Personally, yeah, I'm a vindictive American. I'm glad he got robbed and he supposedly purported ten dollars, <laughs> which I don't know about that. Yeah. yeah, he was from a wealthy family, and um, but he did have an engineering. He did have some kind of education to okay. come up with the microchip thing. That I don't want to besmirch. Yeah, but I don't know what happened to him. He went down some rabbit hole. I know you guys love that term. I do. Um, and uh, maybe he could have been a nicer person, better person. He could have kept his promises. They yeah. should have got a signed contract. I do believe they did get something. But I do believe there was a contract. Okay. And that's why they sought legal remedy. And um, there was an article about that, too. I'm not in that article, thank God. <laughs> I'm a little embarrassed to even be a part of the situation at the time. Yeah. Because I knew that they were getting ripped off. They didn't understand it. When they started leaving to go to New York and San Francisco and putting me in charge. Yeah. And I you was saw the paid. writing. I, yeah, I saw the writing on the wall. Like, yeah. Yes, sir. Thank you, Paul. Exactly. And I thought, this sucks. So you saw it coming and they got the shell shock of like it abruptly being a cold shower at the end. I, yeah, I wasn't a babe in the woods. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I saw it coming. I'm like, this is so mad. Yeah. And they really did do, they really did. They had a bathroom. Yes, they had a bathroom. Yeah. But the food delivery was the donations from the restaurants, which was cold and soggy. And yeah. Doggy bag stuff. Six months, and they did need the fresh fruit, by the way. So yes, this bitch did bring them fresh fruit. <laughs> <laughs> it's California. We're known for it. Of course, you want to at least make sure they get their vitamin D and C. And on that cheery note, I'm going to say good night. But look after yourself, okay? Cheers, mate. Okay, I'll give you a shout. I'll give you a shout when the episode goes up. You can have a listen. All right. All right. Thanks, Paul. You look after yourself, Penny. Take care. Stay safe. You too. Thank you. So Penny's an interesting character. I think she's led a life, quote unquote. 
And I like the fact that she's boisterous. She's got a great voice. It's not any one sort of region that I can tell. It seems like she's bounced around from east to west coast, you know? Yeah. So maybe yeah. it's just like, I don't know, that's like, I don't know. Either way, it's just, I find it fascinating. I think she genuinely does regret the outcome to the winky and the wedding. You know, I, I get the impression that. Well, she you know, seems like she was still in love with the guy. She says she told, she wants to be married to him still. I mean, she wasn't beating about the bush about it. No, I, I I agree. But at the same time, it's like, you know, I still have very fond feelings of my ex when I was married, you know, and I still romanticise about that sometimes. But I also okay. know, like, you know All right. things wow. sometimes happen for a reason. Yeah, but she didn't, she seemed genuinely like she'd walk back into that relationship if she could. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I, it, as I say, it's like it's it's weird now because as these stories have all come together, because as I say, the two Jeffs, have, two of the Jeffs have got back in touch and they're working on projects, and I think Penny as well. She's had Winky brought back into her life because yes. other people have heard of this stupid bloody podcast. Basically, she called up and got chatting with the guy, and then came and visited Jeff, and that was it. But then she also started working for Lynn. I, you know what I mean? I, that I, that's not clear. It's that transience nature, I think of. You know, just being young and dumb, you know, and in L.A. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I she got swept up in it. And I think, as she points out, she kind of got left holding the baby. Yes. Lynn was fucking about all over the place, working yeah. on his club and going to New York. And meanwhile, she has to feed and yeah. maintain the security. Basically, it came out of her own pocket, a lot of it, it seems like, didn't it? Like, she, you know. But also, she, she got to rub shoulders with a lot of, you know, celebrities. Like, the Grace Jones story is fantastic. Right, yeah. <laughs> Because if anyone knows what she did on Russell Harty, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all that she'd slap the fuck out of him. She slapped Lynn, is what the story basically says. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fair play. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and that you do get... She definitely thinks that Lynn was sort of just not trying to spend the less, least money as possible on, yeah. on it by the end of it. He'd probably moved on. He'd moved on in his mind, hadn't he, by then, probably, you know? Very likely. It was interesting when she talks about the marketing they tried to drum up, like the sneakers that they sent to David Letterman's show. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. I just feel like he treated it like a fringe festival gig, you know, where it's kind of like, who can fire? Who can do this? Who can hawk their words for the promise of getting into my club or hanging out with my celeb mates? He definitely used his sort of cachet and hanging on to get people to work for him, and Penny was. It sounds like she was sort of like... Being a sort of personal assistant to all of them by the end. But as a, as a result of his kind of flighty nature, it, when that ended with the wedding in June, it was like, I think they signified the ending of the whole experience with the wedding. It was like how to close it off. Yeah. But I think he was, you're right, he moved on to something else. And so just the complete and utter abandonment of the winners and the fact that they didn't get their prizes hmm. and the fact that, you know, they were left, you know, or they, they had to publicise themselves afterwards. Terrible. I've written in my notes, Paul, twin dwarf real estate moguls. Did I dream that? <laughs> no, that is something definitely that happened. <laughs> right. That happened, yes. That's what we call a typical LA story yeah. from 1980s. <laughs> so was, were they... They were, he was hanging out with them, basically. Lynn's, Lynn no. was an associate of the twin dwarf real estate moguls. No, I think Penny was implying that just in her time outside the billboard, people kept stopping and trying to offer sex, and they were just two random passers-by. Okay, but she said they were kind of famous at the time. Well, probably, if you're two small real estate people. I can imagine that's quite the USP. Did she also say at one point that Emberdink Humperdink, what's he called? 
Um, Humperdinck Emperdink. Engelbert Humperdinck. Engelbert Humperdinck has a club called Bangers or something. P- possibly. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. There's so many random facts that come out of his story. That sometimes has a club called Bangers. Yes. Uh, bizarre. Um, but it was. It's interesting also getting her take because she's much more critical of Lynn than Jeff, isn't she? I think to some extent Jeff kind of rolled with the punches and kind of put a good spin on it, you know. Whereas yeah. she saw the bullshit. I, I to some extent exploited it, but I don't think that involved the wedding because as we found out, I think that was very important to her. It was genuine. It seems like they genuinely were in love, and they were. It's like. She was trying to sort of balance, you know, the the pure sort of showbiz, schmaltzy hollowness of the whole thing with, you know, trying to actually. It's it, yeah. You're never gonna. It's never gonna be easy to start a, a long long term marriage when you get married as part of a publicity stunt on top of a billboard. You know what I mean? I mean it's possibly, like, but it's not a good I mean, start. It's, like, it's not a good start, and I think you can tell from the you know the comments of some of their friends and family at the time that it was all looked down upon. Yeah. What was interesting from both of these stories is the, the I mean, again, thank you to Penny for spending her time talking with me. We'll put the unedited one up on our Patreon. Uh, also, Patreon exclusive will be my trip to LA. I've just decided now I'm going to put that trip to LA as a Patreon exclusive where I go on my winky pilgrimage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what was interesting that came out of both stories was the fact that, and I didn't know this, but after it all stopped, then let's remember, by 85 of June, the toy was probably dead on its arse. Well, he stopped completely. paying rent. He didn't pay the rent on the billboard. No. I mean, yeah, I, because I, I think he indeed he didn't even think it was going to last that long. Did they get evicted? Is that what what was going to happen? Were they going to get kicked off by the pretty much? Right, and that's why they formed the pack to come down together and split it. And it's Sherry Davis, Sherry Davis. Well, here's the thing: I don't think it's fair to paint her as a bad guy because it's easy to think that. Let's just say she wasn't a plant and was promised the win. Let's just say that the win that she did achieve was fair and square. What boggles my mind is the fact that Winky tried it again in New York a few months later. Yes. And that, to me, is absolute arrogance. He uh, he asked Jeff, though, as well. So she wasn't a plant. She just got the offer that Jeff got. But if she was so unhappy with everything, and with them, with the guys, why would you agree to do it again in New York? Because hmm. uh, there's an article from the New York News. I can't find the date, unfortunately. Uh, Jeff sent me this, so thank you again to Jeff. It says, Actress Sherry, Sherry Davis made it to the top of Broadway by setting up temporarily on a billboard high above Great White Way. So, they're talking about New York now, not LA. Davis is the living billboard and is advertising the Winky, a decorative microchip with a red and green light that is supposed to be worn as a pin or earring. At least they just didn't say whatever the fuck that is. <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> the ascent to Broadway began on December 11th when she and 11 other actors, and that was the other thing, it looked like it wasn't all actors, it looked like it was a fair mix, but anyway, entered the Winky contest to see who could live the longest on a 15-foot tall billboard on Sunset Strip in LA. Davis Davis, 26, won. She stayed on the billboard for 184 days, nine days longer than anyone else. That's probably not true, but we don't know. Then she and Lawrence Lynn, 30, an owner of Extronics Inc. of San Francisco, who manufactures the Winky, decided to take their shoe on the road and come to New York. She travelled cross-country on a truck with a billboard on it, and Tuesday she climbed the stairs to a five-storey building housing a dance school and a car dealership on Broadway and West 56th Street and began living on a colourful winky billboard 88 feet above Great White Way. Once she's finished her reign on Broadway, Davis plans to collect her prizes from the company, which is a trip to Haiti, a Honda Civic, 
a role in a movie about the microchip and a part in a commercial for Winky to be aired on MTV. None of that happened. <laughs> wow, imagine there was a movie. They were talking about a Winky movie. I know. That would be so shit. It would, it would have been an E.T. kind of wank, yeah, short circuit. Except you know? all it does is winks. It doesn't talk. Mate, can you imagine if short circuit ended up being originally a script for Winky? <laughs> that is not outside the realm it's of not believability at all because you hear you hear of these movies like die hard 4 was originally going to be lethal weapon 6 or something yeah, you know yeah, it. Yeah. anyway davis says she plans to stay on the three foot by 48 foot billboard as long as new york is willing to wink back at me she has a 19 inch color television set a stereo two fig plants to keep her company in a penthouse quote unquote as well as a telephone davis a tall thin model and actress with a gold streak in her hair plans to come down twice a day for 15 minute pit stops to go to the bathroom take a shower and change clothes in an apartment nearby her food will be provided by the hard rock cafe so she had the shits the whole time she was up there (laughs) and will be brought up to her she'll be protected round the clock by bodyguards provided by the company but she said she feels a lot safer than she did in her apartment in san francisco who's going to come up here davis asked with a laugh for protection from the elements she has a plexiglass roof sleeps on a foam mattress why would she want to live on a billboard well, I was bored, Davis says. Anyway, I always no. wanted to be a star on Broadway, and this is the most fun way to do it. It's not a way to do it, though, is it? No. It's like saying, I've always wanted to be in the West End, so I jumped on top of the Palladium and got yeah. the balls out. You know, yeah. it's like, it's not, it's, you haven't performed at the West End. Yeah. Um, Davis said her family and friends thought she was crazy until they heard about the prize. Yeah, her life on a billboard in California had some added benefits too. She said actor-playwright Sam Shepard stopped by and she got a call from Dolly Parton, Matt Dillon and Dustin Hoffman who told her... If I was if I was ten years younger, I'd be up there myself. I can't do Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> That's uh, well, you tried, Paul. You tried. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think I sounded more like Al Jolson. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so <laughs> we'll move on. But what gets me is this is where the story literally dies for the badge for me. We don't know what happened to Sherry. We presume she didn't get the prizes. We presume. She's disappeared. No one's heard of her. I couldn't find any trace of her outside of this story. That just always gives me the the fear. It just gives yeah. me the fear that get that lonely feeling of someone. Unless who... she's still up there and they just haven't brought her down yet. <laughs> no. But I, I, this is why it's unfair to, to paint her strictly as a villain. I think it's more interesting to say that just like Jeff, she wanted to be famous. Yes, but she also is definitely working with Lynn to some extent. And the we whole... don't know. We don't know that. How come she wins in New York? I don't understand. Why is she alone up there? Well, as Jeff said, it seemed like it was like a freak show, but but more kind of pathetic because his friend said he was in New York at the time and called called her because he could see yeah. her from her window, you know? So yeah. I, it, this, this is what gets me about the exploitation of this. And the only person to walk away from it without shit on their hands is Lawrence Lynn, who just goes on to create another business or another enterprise or another nightclub. Because since then... He's been involved in all kinds of weird businesses, small tech, other nightclubs, a media company called Loop Media that made videos for online companies. Okay. And apparently he's still working out of his home address in San Francisco, but that's all we know. And I've, I did get an email, but I have decided not to get in touch because I kind of worry that that's a bad idea. What, you got an e- email from Lynn? No, I've got an email 
I've got his email address, apparently, oh. potentially. But okay. I, I kind of feel like getting in touch with him could could stop the end the whole of this podcast. <laughs> There's also that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this all brings us to... Well, it's the next chapter in the story after the billboard, really, for us, well, isn't it, Paul? Uh, it's the final chapter. It links back to the question we had at the beginning. Mm. Why is there a French song about Winky, right? Why? Why? Why was a song released almost a full year later? And you're about to find out why next. So, here's how it goes. The biggest mystery to this was the song for us, right? Because we couldn't understand its relation. Uh, Because the toy definitely had not been released anywhere else in the world. Uh, So, we couldn't find the connecting tissue. You know, as we explained in the earlier episode, we went looking for the songwriter and we found that the songwriter, Claude uh, Tonietti, awful with French pronunciations. Tonietti, yeah, Um, Tonietti. We found his YouTube video of the Nostradamus French beatbox track with the blunt smoking kitten in the brick wall. Which we were the first person to have viewed it. In almost 10 years, yes. It was like the uh, the YouTube equivalent of a, a Google bang or whatever they used to call it. A <laughs> Google whack, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was a YouTube uh, whack, wasn't it? Yeah. He'd literally uploaded it. He hadn't even watched it himself on YouTube. <laughs> Probably not. Do you know what I mean? But once that became a massive dead end... I decided to reach out to a friend of mine. Her name is Rowena, and she works in the music. And we, I used to do comedy with her back in the day, but she used to do improv. Uh, but now she works in music. And I said, listen, because of because we tried to track the, the, the song down, like who owned it, and it bounced from one independent company to French Warner Brothers to some other thing, we just wanted to know if we could reach out to any of the songwriters. And so she put me in touch with a guy who put me in touch with another guy who said, I found him, and you can reach out to him on Facebook. And I did. And so I managed to get in touch with the composer of the track, a one Laurent Gasparri. Uh, so I, I, I reached out to him on, e- on Facebook, not eBay. God damn it, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Stop using eBay to date Frenchmen. <laughs> right, so I reached out to Laurent on Facebook and I went, hey, my name's Paul Gannon. I do a podcast. Do you remember ever doing a song called Winky? And I think he got in touch with me not too long, like five minutes later saying, wow, I've not been asked about Winky for 35 years. Fucking crazy. What do you want to know? And I went, oh, so much. Everything. But as it turned out, he didn't have much to say, but what he did say made a lot of sense. So I agreed to speak to him on Zoom. This is another little interview I did with him. This is only about 10 minutes, but I think in those 10 minutes, it pieces it all together. So, with that in mind, please enjoy uh, this interview, which explains just why the hell this song exists. Hello. Yeah, okay. Okay. Nice to see you. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Um, so thank you for agreeing to speak to me. I know it's probably strange and out of the blue, but uh, I really appreciate no, it. Was it was very, very so big surprise, you know, your your uh, your mail yesterday because uh, so long, very old story for me, the, the Winky. I, I I can imagine you've probably not spoken about it much, to be fair. <laughs> That makes me laugh yesterday when you say we were very surprised the French song. <laughs> <laughs> And you wonder, why is it in French? It's very funny. (laughs) 
Yeah, because initially I thought, did they did they try and sell it in France? In uh, sorry, in in Canada, in the French Quarter, maybe, and things like that. But no, it was a kind of a loose end. So I contacted a few friends of mine who work in the music industry in the UK, and they tracked you down. And then, funnily enough, you're on Facebook, and so we reached out. And I thought, so finally, you can now tell me your involvement and how this came to be, because uh, we would genuinely love to know. Yeah, so that um, my friend. Claude Tonietti, you know, the, 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 the co, the, the writer yeah. of the lyrics and the producer, I think he's the producer too, Claude yes. Tonietti. So it's a guy I knew for a long time ago and he went to see me in 85 and said, I've uh, found a funny thing in a little thing, in a little badge in New York and I'm, I'm planning to, to both the license for France and try to sell it in France. Oh. And but I think uh, it was funny if we made a song together. You know, we used a long time before to to make some music together. Hmm. And uh, I said, um, "Well, do you, do you want to try to 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 make music with me?" And uh, you know, I have some lyrics. I can speak about the explain what's the winky is on the lyrics of the song. And uh, do you want to, to make some music uh, on it? So say, okay, but what is the purpose? Do you know, to, to dance music? <laughs> what, what do you want? Say, yeah, I think it's better for, for dance music and try to make people dance on the club with that. Mm. So that's the way we did it. It was just like this. And it was very fun to do it because we, we do it very quickly, you know, no, no, no brainstorming and, and nothing. It just... Uh, Starting with a, a bit box, and, and uh, I, I plugged my, I had a mini Moog at that time, mm. and I played the, the bass line and said, okay, so I, I played my guitar and I, I said some, uh, uh, you know, the freaks is chic, <laughs> just like kind of a guitar, a rhythm guitar like that. Yeah. And it was okay. But it, it, the, the, the project felt totally in France, you know. <laughs> As, Claude, Claude before was working uh, some, maybe previously he had worked in EMI in France. Mm -hmm. So he had some connection in EMI. And when the, when we did the, when we got the mix finished and all that, he said, I'm going to call and try to have a rendezvous with EMI because I knew some guys still in, working there. And, uh, and they said, okay, we, we can try to, to distribute the, the, and I say, okay, uh, well, well, let's try it. Well, nothing happened, you know, the radio don't, didn't play it. And uh, so uh, we tried to get uh, to shoot to, to shoot, um, a video clip, as I told you yesterday. Yes, yes. <laughs> but it's, it's very funny. I can, I can send it to you if you really want to see it. So it's you, a you have to send this. Yeah. <laughs> you have to. I, I, it, I, I, it took me two hours yesterday because I didn't know where, where, <laughs> where it was, which hard disk it was, you know. So yeah. I, I, did, I finally found it and uh, I'm going to send it to you. But it's very funny. It's, it's very low budget, you know. Yes. <laughs> it was like this. Wow. So after end of the story, because the the record failed and the, the winky failed. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, end of the story. It's it's strange though because when we first heard it, it felt like um, the theme to a TV show or a movie almost as well because it it we just had it had that sense of 
you're about to see an adventure with this small little toy. And I don't know if you ever got your hands on the badges, but when they came out, there was like a gatefold sleeve. And in it was like this history of the toy, what it did, the planet it came from, all of these crazy things. And it just seems like your song just exists in a parallel timeline to the original yeah, yeah. understanding. But it's such a fun song. And when we discovered it, and I apologize in advance, but um, we, me and my co-host decided to get a translation of it into English. And we re-recorded it. Sorry, excuse me. Do, do, um, do you understand the French words? Uh, well, we a friend of mine speaks French, so luckily they translated it, and then I adapted it to make it scan for English. So we did a very, well, I think, decent translation, but what do I know? And we recorded it for our podcast just for a laugh to put it in English. And it was one of like our audience's like strongest reactions to something. People love that track. And it's because I do a lot of pop culture stuff online. This story of Winky and the Badge has just not been told. It, it, it's a blip in history and so discovering the song discovering your good self the people who I've, I've spoken to three of the people who lived on the billboard in la and so i've been building this whole story up of the whole legacy of winky and the man who created it who's a mysterious crazy figure i, I don't know it, it's just it's a beautiful story i thought we'd never figure out the song element and so it's just really been good to have you speak to us and have and find out a little bit more from, from us to you, we just want to say thank you for delighting us. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, um, I, I, was, I was very surprised when you wrote uh, yesterday that it was a huge hit, you know. <laughs> I, I, I've never heard about that anywhere, about the Winky, and, uh, and uh, I don't know which part of the world was, was it a hit, you know, because... Uh, yeah. It, it's, it's funny it's, you're obviously a very small part of a much bigger story you're not aware of and all these other strange characters that exist around the fringes we did do a bit of research into uh, your writing partner on that mm. song and we found a video on youtube he put up i think it was 2012 or 2013 and it was a strange rap which i believe was about nosferatu and when we looked on it we found out that me and my co-host were the first person to watch it on youtube in the seven years it had been on there. And so he, again, we couldn't find anything about him. So we just, again, it was just amazing to find you to speak to about this. Mm. I don't have much more to add. Sorry. It's just, for me, this is just this mystery box that I like picking at. And I just want to know yeah. more. So yeah. So after the song was released, you kind of just went, washed your hands of it and moved on. Yeah. So, you know, I don't have uh, so many things to say about it. It's no. just, uh, it was um, something we tried. Mm. Okay funny things to do, but uh, I've not talked about the Winky since uh, 35 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no, but it, because you, you, you wrote you want to make a documentary, you, about that, that, that uh, Yeah, thing. and off the basis of that, I'd love to tell it visually, uh, because I just think it's, it's a really beautiful, strange, odd story with so many different factors. So that's the plan from my point of view. Just, just about the, the badge, or no? The, the, no, everything. But I, I think it, 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 it has been uh, mainly used on, the, on gay community you know, in, in, uh, in California. Oh, know? really? I, 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 this is the thing I don't know. It was sold as a kid's toy, because in America they had a pet rock, and this was kind of um, an electronic pet rock in that it didn't do anything, but you thought it did. But funnily enough, 
considering uh, Lawrence Lim, who is Dr. Winky, who was the guy yeah. who invented the badge, he had a few nightclubs, so it's not too far-fetched to think it was a nightclub accessory. Mm. But what else to say? No, but this is the thing. There's not much to say, but I, I, it's just from my point of view, really wonderful that you got to, uh, that we got to speak to you today because I we really appreciate it. I, I, have you tried to talk to Claude Tonietti? No, I, I have not been able to reach out to him. Um, I left message on uh, a Facebook page, which I don't I don't think has been used in a while. I don't think he has Twitter. I left a message on YouTube, but I don't think he's looked at that in ten years. So. No, no, I don't. I don't think it's a good thing to do because he's very, uh, he's very um, schizophrenic now. He's very he, mentally. Oh, uh, uh, okay. Well, that's uh, another th issue. Then we don't. We obviously don't want. I, to. I've not seen him for for years and years, but uh, I've received two two years ago things uh, mail from him, and it was un completely. Uh, Illogical, uh, yeah. no sense, no sense. So, uh, wow. I was interested to know if you if you have recently talked to him. No, because it's two years ago. It seemed it was very mentally ill, yeah. Ill, destroyed. So, yeah, uh, yeah. We we got the impression that that might have been the case, and even though we are a silly podcast, we're not in the habit of pushing things like that and so we thought if that's the case and if it's confirmed by you i'd rather we let it go because as i say speaking to you has been a true gift so thank you very much for helping tell us help us tell a bit more of the story no i think you really should to the should see the the the, the video it's 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 very funny. I have seen almost since yesterday. I have seen almost ten times. Which <laughs> everybody, oh, everybody love. You know, it, it's a, it's so uh, eighty eighty mood. You know, with the clothes and the the haircuts and all that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I send it to you. Really, uh, it's it's a pleasure. But, that, that's uh, wonderful. Thank you because we've. Uh, I don't know. It's just it's it's wonderful. So if you've got anything like that, we'd really appreciate it because it's it's I don't know. We've we've become quite close to Winky. <laughs> the funny funny thing is, uh, after your your uh, receiving your mail yesterday, I, I I called my friend who was the singer of the song because I, I didn't sing the, the song. Oh, I, I didn't even so, think no, to no, ask that. No, no. I, I so uh, I I've played the music and uh, that well. but um, I didn't want to sing it. So I, <laughs> it was my best player at that time. Say so, okay, let, come. We are doing a, trying to 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 record a funny song and uh, so it's, uh, it's for fun joke. But, and um, he has completely retired from music now. Right. And I started calling him. I said, I have a good news for you. You are going to <laughs> prepare yourself to sing the Winky again. He <laughs> <laughs> couldn't believe that. He said, what are you talking about? What's, what's yeah. happening on the Winky? I said, well, I just re received a call from a guy in London. <laughs> There's, there's life in Winky yet, I think, definitely. All right, well, you enjoy the rest of your evening, and thank you so much for speaking to me again. Take care. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. So I kind of feel bad after that, that I didn't really ask him too much about his career, because it seems fascinating. He's obviously a dance music producer. That was his main thing, wasn't it? I looked him up on Discogs, mm. and like... The people he has worked with, like he's been vocals for uh, Vangelis. He did He did vocals himself for Vangelis Records. Well, I mean, is it Papathanasio? Yeah, Vangelis, the guy who did the soundtrack for 
uh, Blade Runner, and yeah. who who was in Aphrodite's Child, who were a, yeah. a Greek psych rock band. So he did vocals on that, and Vincent Malone, who I presume is a French artist. He also worked with Gypsy Kings uh, instruments on that as well. The Gypsy Kings are quite big, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, he's done writing and arranging. He's done kids' albums and a few kids' shows. And he's also worked with, like, you know, musicals. He's like, he's had a rich, mostly instrumental career, I think. Yes. He's one of those sort of, so, sort of guys. He's not like a pop, he doesn't write. You know, he just is a, a, a bit of an all-rounder, he sounds like, can produce, yeah. play, sing. And the fact is, I think he was he enjoyed the frivolous nature of making this song, I think. It was very throwaway, yeah. And that's why it sounds fun and daft and exciting, you know? And it's probably much better than it had any right to be. But it just seems weird that his friend went to New York, saw Sherry, saw the Winky, thought, I'll buy into this brings it to France and goes, right, this toy that has just shat the bed <laughs> you know, financially, yeah. uh, I'm going to try and sell it in France. Let's make a pop song. Right, great, I guess, get airplay. It's no less ridiculous than a billboard challenge. It didn't you know. get any air- airplay, though, did it? Which is a surprise, really. I don't know if it's because it's a bit too silly. Did no one take it seriously? Well, it's a disaster but- in terms of the marketing again, because the toy hasn't even arrived. You don't. You want the toy to be on the shelves when the single... You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like releasing a toy chain, but there's no cartoon to go with exactly. it. Exactly, that thing. Exactly, there needed to be a winky animated cartoon as well. I mean, really. Yeah, however, and in the video... I, th- I presume people listening were just as delighted as us. But when he said, oh, yeah, we made a little pop video, I, I think I did a little bit of sex wee. That is the most sex wee thing. I think I made a little bit of winky ink. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Eli, would you like to see it right now? I so would. This is, the, this is top winky. So I'm going to play it to Eli. Eli's going to watch and do a commentary of what he's seeing as it goes. Uh, if you want to see it, it'll be up on our website. Uh, <laughs> I recommend you do, thecheatshow.co.uk. But Eli, I'm going, to, I'm going to share the screen with you now. Okay. Here is the Winky video. Tell us what you see. Oh, they're in a nightclub. Some... It's not DVA. This is filmed in France on a budget okay. of nothing, I think. There's some cool people. They're in some kind of neon nightclub. There's lots of leather. Oh, yeah. Oh, someone's handing a winky across, and the ladies have yeah. arrived. It looks like the Lost Boys, yeah, doesn't it? Very, and, and and three Cindy Lauper's three in, a, in a shopping yeah, mall. Yeah, it's Madonna's from Desperately Seeking Susan, isn't it? They're totally. And there's there's Laurent just then. Oh, that's in the, him in the black. I was going to say in the black jacket, but then I realised they're all wearing black that's jackets. That's him. That's Laurent, is it? He looks pretty mean. Yeah. He's like, eh. Hey. They're, they're in some kind of sh- they're in some kind of shopping mall, aren't they? Yeah. Wow, cheap video. Oh, look at that. Oh, it comes Winky. A little animation. A little animated Winky. <laughs> hey! Look at it. Oh, they're giving a Winky that... conference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, they're not giving a Winky conference. They're doing a rock band. They're now He's on a podium. All the There's gone. a podium thing. Oh, she's having a drink. They're in a mall, obviously, aren't they? How cheap is There he is, is again, Laurent. Uh, but yeah, look. <laughs> oh, he's Winky. Look how... It's... it's this is the most 80s thing I've seen all, ever. He's winking. He's very on brand. A winky. Yeah, and so he is the guest singer they brought in to play, which often explains why he's not strumming a guitar at all there. He's pretending but, to play the guitar. Oh, look, another animated winky. Oh, mate, it's breakdancing. That animated winky is breakdancing. And it is just... And they've gone, look, they've packed. got traffic lights. They're comparing winky to a traffic light. So right now we're looking at the three men, and now they're all dressed like black lace against a bank of TV monitors, and it's just 
80s. It's got that pink and blue neon thing. Yeah. Remember that film Chopping Mall? It feels like someone made a pop video on the set of Chopping Mall. Is it just because of the quality of the video or it's all just jump shots? There's no actual like movement. No, it's just they just slapped it all together, haven't they? They've made a cheap music video because that was probably how they were going to get on, you know, people to listen to it because they could say, "Here's give it to the French MTV." Oh, he's up, he's up there. He's up, he's got a, he's got a, he's got a trumpet. Ah, oh, the trumpeter's on oh. a different level. He's got a vest. Yeah. Oh, he's shaking love- his ass. He's shaking that ass. You always oh, pointing. <laughs> <laughs> They're all pointing. They're all pointing. Everyone's at, pointing. They're pointing at the Cindy Lauper's. There's three Cindy yeah. Lauper's. It's as parallel with the three Jeffs, mate. There's three Lauper's. Three... Six, six, six. <laughs> the mark of the beast is Winky. It's all triplets, but isn't look, it? They're all... Seriously, this is like a John Hughes movie, but just French. Yeah, it's so. And there's 80s. the Winky in the background. I love this so much, though, because you can just tell. They were like, what are we going to do in this video? And they went, we don't know. They're just, just, just jumping just around. Just dance. <laughs> oh, look, here, that guy, what the trumpet guy's giving me the fear and a hard-on. Well, good. All right, well. He's nasty. All right, well, I'm more fascinated with the Cindy Lauper's at the moment. They're, they're, they're giving me serious 80s tentage. Uh, so I want to see more wink. Oh look, there's some animation there. Very. And there's poor. two men hugging, and they're all hugging. It, they're all doing this. Fr- I, wonder, I wonder what French mots more that is, and whether it's still open. Oh, why are there pictures um, of a duck's weird. face behind the winkies? I don't understand. But I don't think they'd know if you no, asked them. They just drew some bloody sketch, some duck heads. They had one night to record. There we go. The video's over. They had one night to record it in the shopping mall. Obviously. Yeah, two hours after closing time. Music. See, all these people were involved in it. Look. Veronique, Muriel, yeah. Sylvia, Ferry, Fred. They're quite a lot. <laughs> Son, Image, Renan, Levan, Kim. That's amazing. I, don't know. I never I never imagined that we'd actually uncover the fucking pop video for the Winky song. The very uh, the very gift of this in its existence. Amazing. Is Paul. just amazing. Beautiful. And so, I, as a parting gift, I could not be happier with the way this has turned oh, out. But what it makes me realise as well, like the Winky Badge toy, whatever, jewellery, may have not had a chance of really taking off in America. But from the strength of that <laughs> that video, it had less than no chance. It wasn't even available. I mean, what? No. Crikey. And it, it's fascinating to me that at the end of the day, this began because you found a strange little vinyl record in a charity shop. It wasn't a charity shop, Paul. I said at the beginning. Oh, sorry, in a record store, sorry. You found it in a record store. And between then and now, we've learned about the people's lives, this toy affected. In fact, the only thing not really connected to the story is the song in the first place. Yeah. It exists in this bubble. I know, it's so bizarre. And but so it's, bizarre. It's, it, what it makes me think about is there was so much stuff in the 80s, that was they just threw so much shit against the wall. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because it was the era of like Reaganomics and the kind of, you know, build your own business and fight for yourself. It was like the rejection of society and it, it was more like, you know, self-independence and self-preservation. And so when it comes to Winky and someone like Lawrence Lynn, it's like, right, I've got the money. I'm going to burn it on this idea. Right, that didn't work. Fuck it. I'm going to use it on this yeah. idea. It didn't work. Right, I'll move on to the next one. Yeah. 
But the uh, but the idea itself, the the thing itself, the Winky becomes this sort of crystallized fossil of of all of the kind of cultural trends and things that were going on at the time. It's bizarre in many respects. It's like a microcosm of just toy trends and and fashion trends in the eighties altogether. Yeah. This one was like a flash in the pan. It was born in the late. 84 and died in late 85 but between them he had life endurances marriages famous artists nightclubs celebrities you know you had this weird conflation and yet because of the fact that everything was so disposable in the 80s and ephemeral it got lost in time it's like we pointed out that when we bought one for the podcast and then listeners of the podcast began buying them from the same seller he reached out to i think it was even and said did someone mention this band yeah. on the podcast? Because I keep selling. I've, I've sold out. Yeah, I've sold. And the price went up. I'd, it might be more popular now than it even was back in 84, Paul. More probably, people probably know about Winky now than it did <laughs> yeah. in 85 and yeah. 84. So, you know, one way or the other, I just thought this was such an amazing story. And I thought, ultimately, it was worth telling this way. And there's still, there's still so much we don't know. We don't know about Lawrence Lynn. We don't know who designed it. We don't know how many were sold. I'd like more information on the design process. That That's missing. Yeah. Just one more thing in regards to speaking to Laurent is that um, he mentioned something right at the end of the interview, and I don't know if you picked up on this, because I got the impression from him that he thought the badge was meant to be a nightclub thing. And he even said maybe it was like originally... I mean, this is just him guessing, but he presumed it was like a gay nightclub scene. And then when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, well, you know, like you used to have at university, those red light, green light nights, and this has a red light and green light. Is it meant to be a what's a red light nightclub accessory? I, Paul, I'm sorry. I'm not familiar with a red, red light, green light night. Is that like you fancy them, you put the green light on and then they come and frottage you? Or it, it, was, it was one of those horrible things that you did at university where you went to a club night and it was always advertised as a, a traffic light night or something. Yeah, right. So if you wore a red badge or you had a red sticker on, it meant don't chat me up. I'm just here to hang out. Sod off. If you had an amber, you were like, maybe. Oh, God. And if, you ha- if you had a green, you were like, come on, I'll take all comers. <laughs> <laughs> I will swallow each and every load oh, in this room. Oh, God. <laughs> but, That's like a sex party. But, Why didn't I ever have one of those? I don't know, but it was a particularly gross We didn't thing. have those in Norwich. No, I can't imagine they did. It's like a phone party. He thought the badge might have been an, a nightclub accessory. Do you think maybe that was what Winky was trying to do? Like sell it at his nightclub so people could wear it and be trendy? Or He wanted it to be trendy. I mean, Paul, he look at the facts. He wanted it to be trendy. He wanted it to catch on, didn't he? And he was a, night, yeah. he was a nightclub owner and a sort of nightlife sort of person from what I pick up, wasn't he? Entrepreneur, kind of P.T. Barnum character, a bit of Wizard of Oz, a bit of a Svengali, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, but it's the club scene thing. He's he's almost like in the whole the club scene, which was big then, you know. I don't specifically think it was like a gay icon badge thing, or that was the intention. No. But it does strike me that it could have been a nightclub thing. It could have, the idea could have come from there. For sure. We don't we just yeah. don't know though, Paul, do we? We just don't know. And that's the thing about Winky, in some respects, we'll probably just never really know uh, everything. No, we won't know everything. And Paul, but then we might find out more along the road down the road sometime. Well, if we end up stumbling across something way down on that road, we'll report it to you here on Cheap Show. We certainly will. And uh, it's almost like the enigmatic Winky is winking at us enigmatically to say, Oh, mm. you don't know. 
you know, eh, there's more. There's more. <laughs> <laughs> there's more. Come here. There's more. Yeah, that's right. Winky is the comedian from Ireland, Jimmy Cricket. <laughs> He's anything you wanted to be, Paul. He's anything you wanted mm. to be. And also, yeah. I'd like to know a bit more if we could get anything on what happened to Sher- Sherry. Exactly. There are still so many mysteries. But for now, June 2020, this is as complete as the story as we can tell yes. hey if I'd love to turn this into a like a proper TV Netflixy kind of documentary so if anyone listening wants to help out with that give me your number great I won't end the podcast with that line because that's just awful <laughs> but <laughs> I do want to end with some thank yous um, so first of all Eli you brought the gift of cheap show to us all so really you are the gift of winky take that say that again say that again you brought me your friend, Paul, a big gift. And that big gift was a nice big Winky. You brought Winky into my life and I've embraced it. Uh, my pleasure, Paul. I'm glad. Uh, always on the lookout. But I, I don't know if I'll ever find a record with such a unique and strange genesis ever again. Well, almost. You know, Space Boogie, that f- song from the guy who had the the, the restaurant, the, the chippy. Victor- the, Victory the Cafe, spook. yeah. That just happened to clash with Winky <laughs> on that day. Because otherwise, that's also yeah. another story we maybe might want to investigate one day. Yes. Yeah, it, it didn't really, it, it it was like, um, you know, Careless Whisper getting kept off number one, wasn't it? Because it was... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's Ultravox's Vienna being kept off the spot by Joel Dolce's shut up in your face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you to Eli. I want to say thank you to Ross Hudson, who gave us uh, the badges and gave me some background into the design. I want to thank uh, the usual cheapskates, uh, Yvonne, Tony, Denny and Pseudo Sapien, they, they, in all the different ways, they've helped me put this show together. Tony with his art, Yvonne, Denny, and Pseudo Sapien with links to all the patent information and Winky Doctor information and Lawrence Lynn information. So I want to say thank you to them. Obviously, thank you to Jeff Olan, Penny, uh, and Laurent, who helped us out with this episode. And um, I think that's it. Oh. I think that's it. Thank you as well for supporting this podcast, if you have done, for the past five years. Thank you very much. Happy birthday, Paul. Happy birthday, mate. Happy birthday. And we can only hope that another charity shop or another record shop or Poundland in the future gives us a story as rich as this. But we just don't know. No. That's that's the magic and mystery of Cheap Show. <laughs> and if you'd like to help support us financially in a small or large way, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Cheap Show and only give if you can afford to. Don't if you can't. If you can't, spread the word because that's just as valuable. Thanks very much if you are. Pictures and videos to accompany this episode are on the cheapshow.co.uk website. Follow us at the Cheap Show Pod on Twitter. I'm at Paul Gannon Show. Eli is... Eli Snoid. E-L-I-S-N-O-I-D. We do Twitch. It's called Cheap Show, etc. We're on YouTube. We're on Facebook, Instagram. Just look for Cheap Show. You'll find us. Other than that, thank you to everyone who supported and listened to us over the past five years. We'll keep on rocking. And uh, yeah, oh, I've got no ending for this episode. You, you, you don't ever have an ending for any episode. <laughs> I know how to end it. We'll play ourselves out with us singing Winky. Okay. So how about Eli? You introduce us top of the pop style as we end this episode with a song that began it all. Winky, okay. but in English. Okay. Well, thank you. That was Dexy's Midnight Runners. Now we're going to go to the number one spot. It's those two cheap show boys. What a pair of dickheads they are, but I don't care. And here's, here they are with their version of Winky. He blinks red and green. He's heading straight to Earth. Do not panic. He's trying to speak. That's the Winky. Who, the Winky? The Winky. 
you're feeling pretty low, he will come and he will go with his music. He will make your heart glow. That's the Winky. It's the Winky. The Winky. Let's go green and move your feet. Don't be red and feel the beat. Celebrate this creature, electronic future. Winky, 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 Winky. He's come from somewhere up above. He's energetic, full of love. A trendy little circuit who knows how to work it. Winky, 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 Winky. winky. Paris, Tokyo, London, New York. Contact, contact. You'll never feel alone with the Winky. The Winky? Oh, that Winky. With Winky, it's simple. Stay away from red, go green, and it all becomes clear. It's the Winky. The Winky? Oh, yeah. Let's go green and move your feet. Don't be red and feel the beat. Celebrate creature, electronic future. Winky. Winky. From somewhere up above, back. he's energetic, full of love. A trendy little circuit who knows how to work it. Winky, 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 Winky. Winky. Oh, Winky. Winky. Fucking Winky. Is that Winky, Winky? Oh, let's do a breakdown. Sexy. Sexy. Oh, he's such a tease. Funny. Makes me go winky at the knees. Oh, that naughty Winky. Naughty Winky. He makes you laugh, makes you sound. I hope he hangs out for a while. You mean the Winky? I do mean the Winky. I meant the Winky. Oh, yeah, the Winky. And let's go green and move your feet. And don't, don't be red and feel the beat. Celebrate this creature, electronic future. Winky, 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 Winky. He's come from somewhere up above. He's energetic, full of love. A friendly little circuit who knows how to work it. Winky, 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 Winky. 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 Yeah. And that's the Winky song, winky ladies and gentlemen. Hello, I am Winky. Thank you for listening to my story. Goodbye.